world. This life ain't for everybody. Another great episode today. I'll introduce my guest in just a short second, but you heard me talk about the uh, North American Whitetail Championships brought to you by bone collector Michael Waddell and his crew at Booger Bottom, Georgia, as well as the boys in Kansas at Wicked Outfitters. Wicked Outfitters, Clinton, Steve, they're rocking it. This is a cool contest. $300 is all it takes to enter. You get two chances, you get to qualify, and then you get a chance at $50,000 cash money and the cool part is as soon as you sign up for three hundred dollars you get a prize package valued at over four or five hundred dollars with a tacticam broadheads peep sights things to accessorize your bow it's just a great idea it's a great way to get whitetail hunters deer hunters alike conservationists across the country together competing ethically morally being safe and being structured about it but i think that it's got some legs underneath it we're getting involved in it and uh, i'm glad that clint and steve over at wicked outfitters got this thing going fifty thousand dollars to the winner 14 regions across america and canada all archery whitetail buck deer munching on clover get your asses off that couch and get signed up for the 2019 north american whitetail championships brought to you by bone collector and Wicked Outfitters. There's a lot of sponsors. Support them, guys. Tell them, Chad, and the Foul Life, This Life Ain't For Everybody crew sent you. And now let's get going with another great episode of our podcast, This Life Ain't For Everybody. I got my good buddy, insurance guru, basketball athletic guru, soon to be probably, if I have to call it, a senator, a governor, a mayor, something in the political realm. I don't know if he said yikes, but I mean, this guy can talk. Scott Chalene, how you doing, my brother? Good, buddy. Good to have you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. This life ain't for everybody. That's an interesting title for your podcast. I mean, you hunt for a living, you don't have shoes on, and it's one o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. What, whose life wouldn't this be for? Well, how do you know that I don't hunt in bare feet? Oh, unbelievable. <laughs> I'm sitting here in a tie, just ran over here from work. I got a million things going on this afternoon. It looks like you're going to kick your uh, feet up on the couch and maybe watch some, maybe edit some videos this afternoon. I mean, this life ain't for everybody. Holy cow. I think the only people that currently can't live this life are all in a coma. Unbelievable. You got it going it's, on, buddy. Thanks pre- for having me. It's pretty, uh, I have been kicking my feet up a little bit. I haven't, I've been a little under the weather, man. I don't know what it is about this year. This There's stuff in the air, it's raining, and then it's, snowing and it's 27 degrees and then it's 61 degrees and then it's 34 degrees nothing's i don't know if al gore was right i don't know what's going on with the global warming or whatever but they say that donald trump fixed global warming in in just two years i mean (laughs) we got our water back but it is cold it is cold and it's uh And then, you know, the amount of water that we've gotten, you've been in this area your whole life. The last three years, it seems like the snowfall in the Sierras has been out of whack. It's been tremendous. It's it's a lot of fun to see. I remember when I was a child having Washoe Lake Phil. My grandparents lived in Reno. I grew up in Carson City, Nevada, and just taking that trip all the time. You know, the it, uh, Washoe Lake would almost be up to 395 as it is now. So it's exciting to see just Washoe Lake. You can get a good kind of uh, feeling on what the what the water's doing in our area just by looking at Washoe Lake. It's tremendous to have all this water. Do you think that you could ever, um, you know, everybody says home is where the heart is. Nobody can wait to get back home. You can only stay away from home for so long. I travel a lot with what I do, obviously, hunting and, and, and outdoors and doing what we do with the brands. And you, you're more centralized here. I know you travel a little bit to vacations and stuff like that. But Reno, Carson City, you're from Carson City, 30 miles south of Reno, the state capital. And then you live in Reno now with your beautiful wife and family. Do you think you could ever move out of here for good? 
You know, I think it'd be tough for me. I think I make friends fairly easily. What I do for a living, um, you know, it's, it's easy to find new people in, in a new community. But I always have loved everything about Northern Nevada. Um, like you said, I've always been a big Northern Nevada guy. I've always uh, have never moved from here. Um, when I, you know, I born and raised in Carson city. And then, like you said, made the huge, uh, move up to Reno 30 miles away and, uh, been up in Reno ever since. Um, but you know, I know you've been a lot of places, uh, Las Vegas, and you know, you went to college down at UNLV. Um, and it's just, you know, I, I think it, I could have easily done it, but never have. And at this point in my life, being 44 years old, uh, perfectly happy here with my family and everything else and, and think it's a great spot. So, well, let's, let's talk about, before I get into you personally, I just got a quick question on, on Reno, the infrastructure, the government, the city council, the tour, the tourism bureau, um, the, the midtown project, the casino industry. Um, I'm not, I, I, again, you can always sit on a, on a soapbox or you can sit in your couch and you can complain about shit and people say, well, if you don't like it, get up and make a change. And I, and I don't, I'm not trying to say that I, I want to get up and run for office or that I'm going to go sit down with our city council and, and say that there needs to be a change. But it just seems like it, this, it's been stagnant in the downtown area of Reno and it continues to be. And here's some of the things that I, that I'm saying that the baseball park is down there. Beautiful park, AAA, Arizona Diamondbacks affiliate, the Reno Aces. I'm almost scared to go to a game sometimes because of where it is, the parking, the amount of parking down there and how hard it really is to walk an eight-year-old daughter of mine to a game. I don't like the feeling. And I mean, there's other parts of downtown that I think need to be cleaned up. I think there needs to be more attention to it. I'm not happy going down there and I don't feel good about it. And I don't know, you you work close to there. Am I off base by saying that, you think? No, not at all. I think that the good part is, uh, particularly for that area, is there might be change coming soon. It sounds like there is change coming soon. Um, the Lincoln Lounge, formal Lincoln Lounge, I used to be an actual client of mine, but they're uh, out of business. That building's now for sale and it sounds like uh, do you see that recent article? Meryl Streep's husband, of all people, is going to buy it and turn it into a big parking garage right there across the street from Louis Bass Corner to provide some more parking. It's just like you alluded to, you know, you've got the bus center down there and some other things that don't exactly adhere themselves to a family type of atmosphere. I know my family and I, with the kids, have had a couple instances walking in and out of games. But, you know, um, I, I'm hoping with the improved infrastructure around that area that, that it will become, you know, safer and get kind of more of that bad element a little further east down the road. You know, with obviously political correctness, and we, we're not going to – we don't – I'm not going to be ignorant and say that there's anybody to blame, but I just think that – when it comes to the homeless and it comes to people that are living on the streets, I get it. I understand people go through hard times. I'm not going to say, you know, take a stance on either side of the, uh, of the fence on that deal. I'm just saying that there is a family atmosphere in that part of Reno now Big time. that they wanted that family atmosphere there. You have the casinos there, which you have to be 21 years old to be on a casino floor. Right. You have to be 21 years old to gamble. You have to be 21 years old to buy alcohol, drink alcohol, go to a bar, all of that stuff. You come just to the east a little bit, a half a mile across the parking lot, really, and you have one of the potentially greatest things in this area, baseball, with soccer, with concerts, with summertime events, with restaurants and, and places to visit. 
And I would just think that the infrastructure is always backwards is we're five, we're, I mean, we're 10 years into that stadium now and it's hard to find parking. And again, well, walk your ass. It's not about walking my ass. It's what you have to walk by to get into the gates of the stadium. Right. And that's what I'm saying is that the sooner the better, because I want to go down there, but it's almost like I don't want to support it because it's, it's so dirty to me. It's just, it just no. does like take take AT&T Park in San Francisco. There's a huge homeless population in San Francisco. There's a huge uh, there's a huge amount of people that you probably don't want to run into in a dark alley. Right. That area of San Francisco is so cleaned up and so enjoyable. It's like why can't we do that in 10 years in Reno? Yeah, no, I, I think you're onto something there. And and if anything, hopefully, you know, the city's learned from, you know, that and our next big project, whatever that may need, may be we can build the infrastructure around it a little a little bit better before the uh, before the piece goes in, you know, the whatever it's going to be. Well, I mean, I, I'm telling you, if I had a place that I knew that when I left here and I was going to watch nine innings of AAA baseball, which I absolutely love minor yeah. league baseball, and I knew I where I was going to park and get to that place safe, whether it was a walkway or something to get away from the rift raft, I'm in. I'm telling you, dude, my, my thoughts have changed before. If I was by myself with you and some buds, yeah, let's go to the game. We're fine. Mm -hmm. But man, when you have a girl, an eight year old girl walking out of a stadium with her cotton candy and a fight breaks out and backpacks are flung off and knives come out. And I'm mm -hmm. like, this isn't right. This is not right that this can even happen. I know that things happen in life and a kid's going to be susceptible to that, but I'm talking like drug deals, bus center, tent city, all this riffraff is no. right there at the front gate. No, exactly. I mean, there's even an article in today's paper about how Las Vegas is looking to doing something with that boring company, Elon Musk's company that's boring those tunnels underneath. Uh, they've only done the one from Hawthorne to Los Angeles now, but they're, Las Vegas is looking into that. And if you look at Reno as a microcosm of, of Las Vegas, you would all the Las Vegas folks would tell you that they wish they would have put some public transportation in before now. Yeah. You know, now the city's built around them. They, you know, they, they need a, a better way to get around. And that tunnel that they're proposing is actually only for the convention center to go underneath it, the Las Vegas convention center. But, um, you know, there, there's no place to, no way for you to get here from Sparks, Nevada down to the park, unless you're going to take a, what would it be a 45, $50 Uber ride? I mean, there's no real, it's, it's, it's tough to get to too. I mean, it's just, if there was some way to get there where you didn't have to worry about that, that would help too. Cause the parking is tough. It, the parking is tough. And I, I don't know. I just think that, that there's some things that need to go on. And I've talked to several people that are in that mix, in that circle that, that want the same thing. And I think that we're going about it ass backwards. We give all of the credit to Tesla. We give all the credit to Amazon. Oh, you're giving all these employees, all these jobs and all this stuff. Awesome. But what about the freaking locals that have been doing it for Don Carano and the Eldorado and the Silver Legacy and, and, and all of the guys at those properties in yeah. downtown Reno have supported our economy for years. And yes, they've made money, but they deserve to make money because they took the freaking risk. And now you look at all these billboards and all this support and what is city of Reno doing in the Nevada and state of Nevada. They're giving all the credit to all these big companies because they think that that was the answer when we need to start down there with the Coranos and the families that are kicking ass on a daily basis yeah. to make it better. And we, we got to make that part of the city better. No, I concur. Absolutely. I'm with you hundred percent. It's, it's one of those deals to where I don't like, it's like, well, you don't, you don't go and you don't sit in on the council meetings. You don't run for office. You're not really trying to make better change. I'm just simply saying that I've done all that. I've went to the city council meetings. I've tried to have a voice. I went to this, the city with an idea with a friend of mine. His name's Ronnie. I won't say a last name. 
But there was a thing called Reno Rebirth, and it was about that slogan, the biggest little city in the world, and how this old-fashioned sense, and this is what I love about you, is that the old-fashioned sense of community is what I'm all about in life. Even though I've ventured out and I'm, and I, and I'm not here much, I talked to Rick, you know, I'm not saying last names again, and I always talk about Ricky in, in all of my business talks. I said, Rick, how can I get more involved in the community again? Because I've been out of touch and out of, out of sync with this area because I've been on the road trying to build brands and, and build, build these shows and stuff. He's like, here's what you want to do. You got to do this. You want to get involved in this. And I'm like, which one do I really want to get involved in? And the ones that I want to get involved in are charitable. They're 401c3s. You're involved in the Boys and Girls Club. I absolutely love that. I love the 4-H properties. And I love the stuff that the Ronald McDonald's house, house is doing. <clears throat> but I was like... This Reno rebirth was going to bring the attention back on the community back when the arch looked like the original arch and the Coney Island was the Coney Island and all of these old timers were mm. sitting in cafes and sitting in local places and we still had that sense of community and I don't care what you say there's a few people that still have it uh -huh. but we've gotten so vast and so Californiaized uh -huh. and we have there's a lot going on here to where that Reno needs to get back to that and not worry about the Amazons. I get it. We need the economy. We need the jobs. That's awesome. But what about right here, the community? Well, and, and I agree. It's, it's, it's funny that you're touching all this because we haven't talked about this, but as we speak right now, um, a friend of mine, Gary Hill and I, uh, a very good fastball player for the university of Nevada. I won't, I won't name names either, <laughs> but, uh, we're, we're in, current negotiations with the Reno City Council on uh, taking over a building on Keystone specifically for basketball. Now there's enough basketball facilities in the city of Reno and Sparks. The availability is what becomes a problem. So there's a, there's a building down there that the city of Reno owns. Um, they, they, the last city council meeting, they gave us 45 days to come up with a long list of things that we've since come up with in our next meetings on March 13th. And we're hoping that uh, we can make a deal for them. It'd be a great thing for the city of Reno because they have a very ugly building to, to speak plainly right now. Uh, we're going to make it into a spaceship building with four courts and it's going to be a, it's a, it's a 501 C three. And so it's a nonprofit organization. The Nevada Wolverines is a nonprofit organization. And so it'd just be a great thing for the city of Reno and, um, for, for kids in the, in this area for basketball. Again, there's not a lot of basketball centric things. There's a great, great areas of played in town for indoor baseball. You know, the hit, the rich tradition we have here on, on baseball and how many professional athletes have come from Northern Nevada. Uh, same thing with football. We've got Duke Williams who are Duke, uh, you know, played in the NFL. He's opened a wonderful facility for the football kids, uh, called no limit. There's, there's, there's things available and there's basketball, uh, there, there's teams all over the place, all over in Reno, but there's not one, you know, the Boys and Girls Club have a, have a wonderful team called the Reno Ballers, but, but there's, uh, you know, they run into gym space problems too with whether it's youth soccer or, or some of the recreation leagues they have. This one is going to be specifically for basketball in the type of situation where you can drop your kid off after uh, school and they can work on a specific drill or technique or the fundamentals of basketball on a Monday through Friday basis and then have basketball available on the weekends too. So, um, you know, funny you mentioned that with the Reno City Council. Our hope is, is that uh, what we're looking at is, is how could you find any problems with it? You know, everything that we're going to do is going to go back into the community.
You know, it's a, what, it's what a, do they have to? You're buying the building from a private owner, or is it owned by the city? It's owned by the city. Oh, of it's owned by right the city. Now. So yeah. do they not so want it, to sell it? It would be a. They, are you trying to get it through a gifted program? Through a gifted program, and just in, and actually have them lease it to us, um, and 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 go from there. They, uh, it's the last time they had it appraised was for one point seven million dollars. So they're a little bit uh, tied into that number, as you and I know. Something can be worth. $1.7 million. But if you don't have anybody in line to buy it for $1.7 million, you're kind of out of luck. So that's the part of, um, you know, th th that's one of the things we have to kind of work around is that our solution, while in the short term, it might be better for the city to, to sell the building. First of all, there's nobody in line to do that. And second of all, our vision um, turns out to be a much better deal. Yeah, it sounds like it'd be a much better deal. And it's oh. like, that's what I talked about is like, you got to understand that you can't go in and bash the city of Reno. Even right. though me, I personally think that things can be being done better. You have to be able to go into a meeting like that and say, hey, this building's available. And this is what our goal is with it. And, and what I'm thinking when you're talking, what's going through my mind is, they ought to jump on an opportunity like that right. to clean that area up between Keystone East into the downtown Reno part of that, you know, that part south of Interstate 80. No. When you drive on Interstate 80 and you look down there, you're like, that needs to be cleaned up. No. Straight up, it needs to be cleaned up. And I and that's what, putting things like that where kids can be safe, no. go and meet coaches and learn leadership skills. doesn't matter if they can dunk or shoot a free throw. They're going to learn that. But the importance of the, the team, the leadership, the discipline, the nutrition, the being in shape, that's what, I, that's what I would love to see in that area. And if you just go a little bit, you know, west of there and a little bit south you got some of the nicest places in the whole country yep. with the foothills of the oh, sierras and reno high school and it's beautiful so yeah that's i didn't know you guys were getting into that but that's that's the kind of things that we've talked about putting out here and everybody's like well nobody's going to drive all the way out there to do that and i'm like well this there's a, a lot of population out here and when you go to a batting cage here mm -hmm. and you say hey i want to bring my team in here well we're gonna have to schedule you out we're booked and i know exactly what you're saying there's a lot of cool places but there's a lot more people that want to use those cool places absolutely and the nonprofit aspect of it is you know people don't want to talk about there's plenty of kids that need our help in the reno sparks community so the after school thing to me just really touches a nerve because there's a lot of kids and when they get done with school they don't have any place productive to go. Right. And if you don't give them a productive place to go, that, that's on you. That's on us as the adults in this society and in this community. That's our fault because you're not giving them an option. You know, the, if the, if, if the parents, parents aren't providing an after-school program or something like that for the kids to go to and they have to go to their house or someplace else that's not a good environment, um, we need to give the, those kind of kids an alternative. So... You know, when we talk about those pro forma, I, I always jump into business terms. I apologize. It comes no, naturally. But, but that's, you know, when you're, when you, the city council needs to see something as well. But when you're pro forma, something like that, to me, it breaks down to, you know, I, I think it, if, if things, I, I hope I'm positive we're going to have a great meeting with the city of Reno. The last time we had a, um, went to a council meeting, it was voted four to one in our favor. Um, I'm, I'm sure it'll be great this time, but you know, if, if, if we looked at them and just said, we're going to save one kid by opening this facility, it, is that enough? I mean, of course it is. Right. Right. You know, I, I don't know what the pro form is. I don't know if we're going to help 30 kids a year that can't afford to be there or, you know, but the potential to do but so the is potential there. is amazing. And if it was one kid, it would be worth it. That's the bottom line. 
And so, um, you, you yeah, struck, you, you said something, you said something there on when, when you were growing up in Carson city or I was growing up up here in the eighties, where did you go when you were seven or eight after school got out? Where did, where did you do? Like, I'm, and what I'm doing is I'm trying to make a comparative here. Right. Are times that much different? I don't know. Like when I got out of elementary school, I got on a school bus right. and I came home and I went to work. We, yeah. we used to go to school for seven hours a day. Now I think they go for what? Two and a half. Exactly. It just seems no, like, it's, it's true. It, it just seems like the kids aren't in school that long. Right. And then when they get out, the everybody's like, well, what are they going to do now? I'm like, well, dude, parents don't get off work at two in the afternoon and three in the afternoon. We got to have something for these kids to do. I would get off. My dad was a union plumber. He got off at three 30. I would get home and I would go split logs. We'd go build fence. We'd go milk cows. We'd go to work. Right. Then we'd go ride motorcycles, catch lizards, build a track, get on a half pipe skateboard ramp, whatever we did, we stayed busy and we stayed outside. Yeah. And that's where I'm going with this is if you can give kids something constructive to do, whether it's instruments, whether it's art, whether it's basketball, something to use their hands and get off of these iPads, yeah. get off their headphones off their head to where they can't even hear you when you're talking. That's where how we grew up. And I, and I truly feel like the steps that you took or I took or somebody in our circle took, why can't we get, why can't we use that simple path of least resistance for kids now? It just seems like there that there's too many too much busy work for these guys to get wrapped up in to where they think that they're doing something constructive, right. and it's easy to say, "Oh, I got stuff to do. Go put go get on your iPad. Go get your headphones on." Right. Yeah. No, the iPad's definitely taking this uh, place of the babysitter these days. <laughs> uh, the yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, comparing comparing a '70s childhood to the kids of today, I think there's a lot of things that are different. You know, it seemed uh, most of the kids that I grew up with, and I don't know. If, the, if that's the case for everybody's childhood, but a lot of them had only one parent that worked. You know, whether it was the mom and dad, you had another parent that maybe stayed at home or something else. So that's the interesting part is there wasn't a Which lot of- Which parent worked? In my, in my family? No, in your- In the it, 70s? In, no, in the 80s. You grew up in the 80s. You were born in 75, right? Yeah. So let's say you were growing up in the 80s when you're 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. Your dad went to work and your mom stayed home? Yeah, that's- Did most that's, of the families do that? Oh, 100%. So yeah, is it a progressive now, a progressive thing now to where, where women are like, I'm in the workspace too, so these kids have to have somewhere to go after school? Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's where we're at because they're, <laughs> they're, they're both at work. I don't, I don't know if you're going to catch me in a me too moment, but <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm saying is women want to work. They have every right to work. When oh, my, absolutely. when my mom, my mom is a nurse practitioner. She got her nursing degree. Um, after we were through that childhood stage, she went back to school and got it and then became a nurse and started working towards her masters and all that and became a nurse practitioner after we were, you know, old enough to stay on our own or whatever. That, and that's exactly what my mom did. She had always had her teaching degree and she didn't go back to teach until my, I have, uh, uh, two younger siblings and my sister was, uh, just like you, you're, like you're saying, she went off to kindergarten and then my mom got back into the teaching regiment, you know, then she became a teacher again, but uh, for, for my whole life, it was just mom at home, you know, which is a totally different life than my kids even leave, live. Uh, my wife and I are both professionals. We can't pick them up until 5.20, 5.30 at night. So they've got to be somewhere. Um, I'd much rather have them do something like you're talking about, something physical. You know, um, I, I'm worried about the educational part of life too, but I'm really worried about work ethic and being physical, whether it's chopping wood or whether it's doing some athletic, what you know how it is, you work out all the time, your body's important to you. But having some physical strain in your life every day, 
is is an important thing. I think it's it 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 makes you a better worker when you're our age. You know, if if you have to do something physical every day, I really like your example. You know, I wish my kids were doing real work like that, but but getting a physical workout every day is going to be important for the rest of your life and it sets a good tone. I know very few people that are in very good physical shape, top physical shape that aren't in good emotional shape and business shape, you know, like they don't, they don't have their shit together in their whole lives. For real, yeah. You know, you don't see a lot of, a lot of, uh, of people that are morbidly obese that are good in business. I mean, they, there are exceptions to every rule, um, but most of the people that get up and are ready to do something and get up with an energy um, are the type of people that get up and run every morning and the type of people that when they get to the office, they're still running and they never stop running all day. That's the type of people I want my three children to be is people that, you know, are, are ready to get up and ready to do things, uh, the whole day and make every day a productive day. So, um, so does that, does that, it doesn't necessarily mean being the best baseball player, the Absolutely best, best. you could be, you could, Absolutely you could, not. you could train your mind and your physical body through, di- you might swim, yep. you might lift weights, you might do cardio, you might, you, there, there's musicians that I know yep. that are nonstop working out for their lung capacity, exactly. for their forearm strength, you know, yep. whatever it is. It's like that physical activity that you're talking about is, is it, we talked about the kids and I, I don't know this as well as you do because I'm only around a few, a certain amount of kids and most of them are hunters and, and across the country, they come from hunting families and I meet them in a hunting environment and they're obsessed with hunting. You meet all the good kids then. <laughs> well, kind of. No, but, it's true. But I you mean, see this, you see this every day you coach kids. Mm-hmm. You're around different age groups of kids with the, the age differenti- different yeah. differences between your kids. Are kids today, in your opinion, 44-year-old white man from Reno, Nevada, are kids different today than they were when we were growing up? Are they, are they, and, on, and the second part of that question is, are parents different today? We, we have kids that age that we're talking about now. Are we different than Orv was and that Mike was back in the day? Because my dad would whip my ass if I got out of line. Oh, yeah. I don't hit my kid. I don't, I don't, right. I, it's almost like you can't anymore and it's not acceptable. I got spanked in public right. all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you yeah. did, but you came from a boxing family <laughs> and a fighting what? family. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, it, it's one of those things. I don't think kids on planet Earth literally have ever changed. I really don't. I think kids are the same. I think what messes up society and what messes up kids are the adults. You know, there was never a kid that came to an adult and said, hey, I don't like this rule where you have three strikes when I'm playing baseball and I'm out. Any chance we can change that rule? Little Johnny couldn't hit a baseball. And instead of his dad, like he would in our day, going back and buying him a flute or finding something else for little Johnny to do, goes and joins the board of the Little League and says, hey, you know, this, we're not giving everybody an equal opportunity. So the next year, they change the rules so it's little Johnny gets three strikes. Then if he can't hit those, he gets coach pitch. And this is actually the, the league that it's my... true story. I, I wish it wasn't, but this is the <laughs> league that my youngest son will be playing in this year. So you get three perfect pitches because it's the dimple balls that don't, ca- they don't catch a seam. Three perfect strikes from the machine. You can't hit those. A coach comes out and gives you four pitches. The problem with that is a lot of the coaches aren't athletically inclined. You see these coaches throwing them helicopter pitches, you know, it's like, how can you, how can you hit a ball dropping directly out of the sky? You know, so they don't know how to coach pitch. Anyway, you get four of those. If you can't hit those, then you get a teep comes out. 
they put the ball on the tee, the kid hits the ball off the tee, and then you, what you run you to first base. One inning? So yeah, so it's unbelievable. So so the kid didn't in, did did not create that environment. That's all parents created that environment. Point. The participation trophies, parents created that environment. When you and I were kids, when I was a kid, my my dad started the Carson City Pop Warner all over again. And we came up here and played you and Todd Floyd and all your animals and the sellers kids and we never, not only did we never win a game in four years as the Carson Senators and the Carson Lynx, not only did we go 0 for his wins and losses, we scored two touchdowns in four years. It was by far, and you can ask pretty much anybody I played with, you know a lot of them, by far the funnest athletic event we ever did in our entire lives. So we didn't need a participation trophy at the end of those 0 for years. To, to make us feel better. We had the absolute time of our lives. And, and it's, you know, is that okay? I mean, it's, it's what kids are like. You know, the, the parents are the ones that bring, in, that bring up the competition to them or say it's not okay to lose or, you know. The, the thing about youth sports should always be there's a team element and you always want to teach team, team, team in any team sport. But the, the main part needs to be on that individual's growth. You know, that individual needs to get better at that particular sport as they're doing it. You know, if the team wins, great. But you, you can't create this environment on kids where it's, you know, win or lose, life or death or any of that. The great thing about it is, even if you do, because I've been guilty of it with my Reno Ballers teams the last couple of years, whatever it is, that uh, if, you, if you take a game way serious and you, and you tell them this is serious and all that and they end up not coming through the only thing they care about after the game is are we still going to go swim you know i mean kids are resilient they can take it um but no i i think i think kids have never changed and parents have and and parents are coming close to ruining youth sports whether it's the behavior you know at the games towards the officials towards the coach towards other players i mean it's ridiculous you know i i just uh Every time I go to a youth basketball tournament or a youth soccer tournament, I hate to say every time, but it's darn near every other time you go, there's some sort of incident where you go, boy, that could be on YouTube or, you know, it just seems like all the videos stuff that you, that you stuff it, that and, you personally would never, ever oh fathom doing yourself. Oh my I see, When I go to watch my nephew play in high school basketball, he's a sophomore. Yeah. And I'm again not going to say any names, and I don't even know the names. But there's this one set of parents with a, a a kid on the team, and I look, I watch them, and I'm like, I can't believe you guys can even leave your house and know you're going to act like this, and the the ego and the arrogance about like, what are you really teaching this kid? If it, it, because here's the deal, the chances of that kid making it to the NBA or even a D1 scholarship to pay forty thousand dollars a year to get a D1 education and a diploma, which is very important are very slim. I'm looking at it like, man, I wish you guys would project and understand that this ninth or 10th grade basketball game means nothing in the big scheme of life. Let him go down there and learn the team aspect, the leadership, the discipline, the respect for the coaches, the respect for the referees, the respect for his teammates to where he's high-fiving them. And when he comes out of the game, he's not sulking and he's not hanging his head and pissed off that he's out. He's like, slapping the other dude in the ass saying, get in there and, 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 and cover me, you know, get, get, pick me up a little bit. No, exactly. I, I, I was never the stud athlete when I got past high school. I had to learn, you know, Coach Dallimore's story. We'll get into it. 
I was the biggest recruiting mistake that that man ever made, according to him. And you heard <laughs> him tell the story. Call. It's the greatest <laughs> call of all time. Oh but God. for me, as an 18-year-old kid at UNLV being told that I'm the worst recruiting <laughs> mistake that this coach, who's been there 20 years, has ever made, I'm like, all right, dude. And we become friends over it. We're buddies. And, 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 I'm, and I sit there going, the resiliency that I had was like, I'm not going to let that stop me. I'm still going to think I'm going to get drafted, even though he knew that I would never, ever sniff a major league baseball field. I didn't know it at that time. So I just kept going, right? Well, that's, that's kind of my goal as a parent. And Orv did a wonderful, Orv and Faith did a wonderful job, obviously, because that comment didn't deter you at all. You know, I mean, you, you, you took it and were able to move on and, and, and you still love Coach Delmar and everything else. You think about that, if, if he said that to a kid in 2019, you know, the chances of him being on the front cover of every newspaper in America are oh, 98%, yeah. unless he chose the right kid. Literally, my thing is, I have a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old. I'm hoping by the time they're 19 years old, hopefully, I mean, it'd be nice if they're playing D1 baseball or D1 something. That would be a, a good spot to have them really like, you, like you were. But uh, if somebody says something like that to them, that they have enough self-confidence like you did and you know enough wherewithal to know that that individual is trying to reach into you is trying to, he sees something in you you know coach Dalmore and co every other coach in the world has never said anything to a kid they didn't care about you know and sometimes coaches say the nastiest things and that's that's one of my favorite because that's one of the nastiest you know it's awesome it's the without even a cuss word in oh it's the greatest <laughs> call ever without anything and, and, and not one just, time did I think about calling my dad or my mom though. I oh my know gosh. That. I didn't have oh, a cell phone oh, in, back then. Can you imagine if never, you had called Orv? Uh, no, I would, he would have, he would have ripped you worse. He would have killed me. He I wish call. you would have called Orv right now just because <laughs> what Orv said would have been actually funnier oh, yeah. than what Dalmar said. He would have been like, are you really calling me over this? Oh, get God. your ass back in the weight room. Get, get out there. Oh no. It didn't even like, it didn't even like ring in my head. And like what you're saying is so real. Like you, it, it, you didn't catch me off guard, but the point is so well taken and well versed by you of it is the parents like Johnny can't hit it in, th in three strikes. So I'm going to go get on the board of directors and change the rule. Like it's that's the, that's the mentality that we have. Oh, yeah. If you say that to my son again, I know he's 19 and he's old enough to vote, right. but I'm going to go down and I'm going to get you a hashtag with your name after it. And I'm going to exploit you. And that's what it is. It's like the, they want to cry and they want to dude. I'm telling you this whole deal about participation and not getting the big gist of what team sports do. And we can go into other sports too. Wrestling. You're, you're a fighter. You're a boxing guy. You, me and you could talk about boxing for the next five hours and not skip a beat. Right. It's still a team sport. Even Absolutely. when those guys, the boxers don't train on their own. Now, when the bell's rung, yeah, they still have a game plan that was set forth by their team and their coaches and their, and their instructors and stuff. And I get it. You're out there by yourself. But wrestling, you can't tell me that those guys at Penn State right now, number one team in the nation in the last five years, yeah. don't have a team mentality. Oh, my gosh. They're, it's a team mentality. You know who's coaching them? The best. I mean, the, Kale. Kale's oh, the best boy. college wrestler of all time. Oh, Him or Gable or well, John Smith are my favorite three. Gable dropped one, so... Gable did, but you know, one, but I love Kel, but my favorite to watch of all time is John Smith. Yeah, absolutely. Speak, well, just cause he let you speaking up. Speaking of just that fight the other up. night with freaking Astrid oh. and, and, and Robbie Lawler, I oh. was not happy about That's Robbie brutal. Lawler smoked him, dude. Well, and I can't believe that Herb Dean of all people made that mistake. Cause I have a lot of respect. Have you for seen Herb. the video that Joe he, Rogan posted today? You got to go watch with, it. Did you see the video of Robbie Lawler? Now, this is something we're talking about youth sports. That's, every I, I, single are you talking kid, about when he went up to Herdeem? Yeah. That every was single kid in America should watch that video. 
more than that, I shouldn't even say kid. And, and Rogan put Every typical, typical Lawler or typical, typical Ruthless. Oh, typical so perfect. Robbie's back to his old self because if every parent in America watched that, we could stop having this conversation about the way they act at youth sporting events and everything else. You think about that, that was after a fight and not a boxing fight, a fight fight. Yeah. A, a, a fight where there's almost everything's up for grabs. And he that you cannot have more adrenaline in your body going through your body than at that instant. And he still has the wherewithal to understand that that's an absolute mistake that Herb Dean made. Herb Dean said, I thought I saw your arm going down. He said, I know, but I gave you a thumbs up right after that. Herb Dean apologized immediately. The thing that's most impressive to me is they get done with that first exchange. And then Robbie, I think, after the decision right, goes back and says, hey. You're an, he goes, you're an effing great ref. You're Don't worry about things. Shit happens. Shit happens. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, so what had yeah. happened, though, is that the buildup of this fight, Ben Astrin goes to Madison Square Gardens. They announce him. He used to be called the funk. He had the big afro. He's oh, this, yeah. He just had chunky body. Didn't look like an athlete, but could whip your ass. Oh, yeah. So he comes in. You know, he's 18-0 and 0 in MMA fighting. His first fight in the UFC is against what they're calling a stepping stone, which is one of the baddest dudes on earth, Robbie Lawler, which I don't, I don't even know how you consider that a stepping stone. I didn't like what Ben said after the fight. Dana, is that the best you got? That was disrespectful after what happened to Lawler. And and then they asked Astrin yesterday on another show on Ariel show, would you fight him again and give him a rematch? And he said, no. And I go, you mother. So Lawler goes in there and literally picks him up and destroys him. I don't know if Robbie was like, I'm going to, terrorize this dude for the next five or three rounds and show him never to open his mouth because he could have ended it right there i just didn't robbie didn't go in there with that mentality he had him done oh I he could have so. finished him Absolutely. and i was like whoa he's backing off what's going on and then the whole call when herb dean went in there and picked his arm up it didn't go limp he gave him the thumbs up he was not out but i will tell you this i was watching the fights with some qualified fight veterans fight guys that have been on the olympic team been on the pan am games fought for america and, and fight fans and they two of them thought that he was out. And I'm like, he's not out. He's just sitting there. He's holding his, he's breathing. He's got his breathing down. He's just being there. He raised his arm. I go, this isn't Hulk Hogan. He doesn't have to shake it with, I am a real American. Wait till it gets to the, yes. two, wait till it gets to the three and then get the finger yeah, up. Yeah, get the finger up. And Andre the Giant starts shaking in his freaking size 33 boots. It wasn't that deal. I'm like, Walt, Robbie Lawler is not out. He's no. got this. And dude, I'm telling you, when he called it, I was like, and he goes, you're an effing great ref. Oh, shit happens. Unreal. Don't worry about it. Gives him a hug. And Herb Dean's like, dude, I'm so sorry. He goes, don't be sorry. It happens. And Robbie Lawler lost his last big fight to, to Tyrone Woodley, who got his got smoked the other night. That was yeah. a weird fight, too. He spent way too much time in the studio. Oh he did not gosh. look good. That was hard. He didn't come to fight at all. He, he did you hear uh, did you hear uh, Cody Covington's interview oh, yesterday about Tyrone Woodley? <laughs> no. Dude, I guess that Dana White and him made up backstage at that fight from what, what I gather out of his commentary or out of his interview. They made up because they were brawling, Dana and him and Cody. Right. Dana wasn't going to give him a fight. It was over that last fight or whatever. I don't know the details, but I guess they made up and Dana says, you're next. So he's going to fight that Husan dude for the title. And I'm like, how do they not give Woodley a rematch? He should get a rematch, my opinion, but I don't know the fight game like Dana White yeah, and the, no, the fixtures do. He He absolutely should. No, Askren was an interesting fight. It's almost like Lawler, you know, Lawler's such a good wrestler in his own might, in his own right. But uh, Askren being a two-time national champion from Missouri, you know, uh, Lawler never never got it done in, in uh, NCAAs. And so it's like Askren's considered a much better wrestler than him. It's almost like Robbie wanted to be like, I'm going to wrestle this guy all night and prove everybody wrong. 
you know, I thought he had a chance to finish him too. Dude, that rest, that freaking slam, the first throw, I was like, welcome I, I to had, the UFC. I hadn't seen Robbie. When Robbie walked out, first of all, at the weigh-in, I said Robbie's going to whip his ass. Yeah. Then when he walked out, and he was, and when he was hugging all of his corner, and he was getting to the cut man, I was like, he's really going to whip this. He's going to smoke. And when it put the camera on Askren, he was scared. He went into that first bell scared. He can say that he didn't, but even in his post-fight interview and the, and the, in the two day interview after 48 hours after it happened and I, and I listened to it, I was like, he's still scared. He will, they go just like this. Ariel goes, will you run it back with Robbie ruthless? And he goes, no, what is that going to do for me? And I went, he's scared. Oh, he's I freaking scared of Robbie. What did he say originally? He said something like, nah, or I can't remember what he said, but he clearly, he was just like, no, thanks. No, thanks. Like, what is it gonna, wait, what is it going to do for you? Dude, he I, smoked your, the whole world thinks that Robbie Lawler beat your ass. You choked him out on a freaking, a weird headlock that you didn't even have his air cut off yeah, it was at like all. a bulldog choke. It was it a bulldog choke. It was different. Or, but, and, and do you hear, uh, do you hear Askren at the uh, post-fight conference? He's trying to get 165 pound division going. And he wants Khabib at 165. Well, I thought they were That's, bringing it in. Khabib no, Dana White said absolutely not. Really, I thought that McGre I thought that they were talking that they were really serious about doing it. He was saying absolutely not the other night, and I hope they don't. That's kind of one of the problems with boxing is that there's a weight division every six pounds. You know, they're just it's kind of perfect the way it is now. Wait a minute before we you talk know? about the fight game because I want to talk about the fight game with you. <clears throat> If kids did take the time, if coaches showed them that video of the classiness of Robbie oh. Lawler, and I'm showing it to the kids, and we're talking, you should, and I, right. I want to be there when you do. Oh, it's I, I love the fact that Robbie Lawler trained for six months for this fight. He's in unbelievable physical condition. He's got his partner in crime, Matt Hughes, with him. You know, God bless Matt Hughes, and I love Matty to death, and he's always there to support Robbie Lawler. And he goes in there, and in a minute, that whole six months is wiped away by a mistake by the ref, which Herb Dean's the best ref there is in the game right now. Oh. He made an honest mistake, in my opinion. He, Robbie Lawler, forgave him. And Robbie Lawler has the classiness and the tact and the couth and everything that goes in the respect of the man to go up and make sure that it didn't ruin his night. Because that very easily could ruin your life, not your life, but your night and your week oh, when Herb Dean time. thinks he did that. It's unbelievable. It, it, you make such a good point with the amount of training. And, that you know, it happened to T.J. Dillashaw earlier this yeah, year. Against, it he, almost he, happened to John Jones on that, on that kick that same night when, uh, you know, he, he needed, needed downed opponent. Yeah. Um, no. Oh, no, no just this, this last, last time. One. Yeah, this last one. That would have been that was really close. traumatic because yeah. he was destroying him, Anthony yeah. Smith. And, you know, that was. And I gave props to Anthony Smith for not taking the win. A hundred percent because he could have bitched out right there. But. I don't know what needs to be done because it's it's interesting. You can't exactly have instant replay in fighting. You know, with the situation with Robbie the other night, Herb Dean calls off the fight. Both guys get an adrenaline dump, and then you say, "No, fight's back on." Yeah, well, the, it's the, like a, they're both walking a, judge, the a judgment call like that is you can't take that judgment away from Herb Dean. You can't go back because he can always go. Well, I thought he I thought he was done. He right. go, on the kick from Jones, you can go back and review that. Yes, his hands, he's That's anchored. That's a good thing. He's anchored on that. I'm glad that they brought that back in. You know what I mean? That they, oh, cause, yeah. But the interesting part to me was, even when you watched it on replay, it's just good that they, they he, he hit a downed opponent. Oh, well, they took two points away. They took, yeah, yeah, you're right. They took two points away. And so, he still won. And he, he still, still won. He, he won 50 to 40. Yeah. To 40. Well, what would it have been? It would have been, it would have been, he won 50 to 48, but it would have been 50 to 45. Exactly. Because he won. No, yeah. no, no. It wasn't that. Because he had, he had two 10-8 rounds. 
He had to have because so it was fifty it to forty three. Right. He won fifty to forty three when it should have been fifty to forty one. That's ridiculous. He yeah. dude, I, I something about that dude. You know, Joey went down to New Mexico and trained with him mm-hmm. and, and and let him hit and hit pads with him and held pads for him. And Joey ended up, I think, I'm not saying his last name, but I think he ended up tearing his rotator cuff or his labrum down there holding bag, holding mitts. Wow. I'm like, why? Who in the hell do you think you are to go hold mitts with John Bones Jones? And and I I always tell this story about. John is very respectful. You hear him talk after the fights. You hear him talk in, in the interviews, and you hear what he said to Anthony Smith about it was nice not to talk smack for three months leading up to this fight. To, to It was nice, you know. And, and uh, <clears throat> the, when I met him, I've met him twice. I've hung with him once, and I've met him twice. First time I'm doing a thing called Hunt Fish Feed in San Diego with the Outdoor Channel and Sportsman's Channel where we uh-huh. go in. And we were we were just chastised. I mean, I got milkshakes thrown at me, but we go in and we had elk. Because it's in San Diego. Well, yeah, de- pro- yeah. I mean, San Diego could have been anywhere, but the 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 haters and the anti's are going to find us. But hunters go down there with wild game. You have that same problem in Kentucky. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, anywhere they travel from out of state, people from San they Diego don't have anything better to do. I know. That's what I'm saying. There, you you should see the NRA Who gives convention. Them the fuel money, George <laughs> Soros. <laughs> you should see the NRA convention, dude. This year it's in Louisville. No, it's in Indianapolis. But I've been to it. And Indy before Louisville, Houston, Dallas, Atlanta. They they follow. They, Charleston was the worst. They formed a human sidewalk to try to prevent us from getting in the building. And you're just like, whatever. So we go down there to feed elk and deer meat to the homeless. This was during the recession. This was right when Jones was starting in the fighting. So this was 2010, like the second year of the, of the downfall of the economy. There was people in line telling me, thank you. We lost our house three months ago. And they got their kids with them. And they're eating deer and elk shish kebabs and tacos and freaking goulash all these salads these chefs come in there and make so we still get shit thrown at us that's another story but in the hotel that night that was on a saturday or friday friday i go back after we feed the homeless and i'm sitting in the hot tub and here comes this freaking guy with three white dudes and they get in the hot tub and they're sitting there and he's got his arms out the wingspan is a freaking mile long and i didn't know who he was at the time and i was a fight fan but he was just coming up and they, dude, he was the most polite, nicest, humble dude. He sat there and had a conversation with me about hunting. His family in New York were hunters. Some of them were hunters, oh, his I uncles bet. and stuff. Yeah. And he's talking, and I'm telling him this story about getting food thrown at me and we're feeding the honey. He's like, I can't believe that. I'd, I'd be so pissed off if I, and he was so cool and so humble. And he got the bad rap for the next six, seven, eight years, winning the elbows to Matt Hamill and the disqualification were one thing. That's just fighting. But the the aftermath and the 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 drugs and the DUIs and all of the car wrecks and the hit and run and the cockiness and the all of this stuff and the testing positive for drugs. Wow. What I just don't understand. I just pray that I, everybody says the same thing. He didn't need to cheat. He's that no, good not at right? all. Well, it's just nice that he's talented enough. And this is the third chapter, but. He this third chapter, if he can just do it now, just keep his nose. He's only thirty three. Literally, think, yeah, he's only thirty three, thirty two, and 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 this this will vault him up. I really believe I was talking to one of our friends about it um, because he took Smith. You know, I bet him a bottle of proper twelve. Uh, he took Smith. I took Jones, but but he, you know, he's like Smith's going to run through. I'm like, oh, no, there's no chance. But I told him on that same text change, you know, it's exchange. I'll take the fight. But I believe John Jones would be the heavyweight and light heavyweight champ he by the end of 2019. And I love DC. I love DC. But there's something about those two that 
DC can't beat Jones. No, I think he's only. I think he's both of DC's losses. He is, and, and, and he's got one no contest against uh, out of it or something. It's a weird thing you saw the other night with Anthony Smith. It's John Jones and everybody else, and then it's kind of DC and everybody else. But when it comes to John Jones and DC, it's it's DC. Let me ask you this about John Anthony Jones. Smith before we go on to DC. When he walked into the the octagon the other night, I thought he looked bad. I thought he looked unconfident. I thought he looked, and, and, I, and granted, this is his first main event. This oh, is yeah. every seat's full. A lot of those guys don't fight when every seat's full. Exactly. A lot of those people oh, don't yeah. come in there until the last three fights. Right. They're out, you know, running Vegas. Now that the T-Mobile arena is there, they got to leave their places a little earlier to get over there. Yeah. Whereas before at the MGM, you just run down the hallway or Mandalay Bay or wherever. But when I watched him, I was like, He's going to get smoked. And I knew he was confident. He said things. It's my time. Right. If there's somebody that can beat John Bone Jones, it's me. And when I, and I'm not trying to say that I know everything about fighting because I miss call a lot of fights, but I looked at my guys and I go, dude, he's going to get worked. And the second part of my statement is, and you tell me if you agree, you watched all the fights, right? Oh yeah. I honestly think Jones could have put him away in the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth round, knocked him out, choked him out, kicked him out, elbowed him out. And I might be wrong, and Joe Rogan might sit there. If I ever met Joe, he'd probably be saying, you were dead wrong, because him and I freaking love Dominic Cruz's commentary and aerials. Oh, they're, so, they're so awesome. And Rogan's a genius at it. So they might say you're wrong, but I felt that Jones could have put him out and, and walked out of that octagon. It was almost like the respect level was too much. He didn't want to or something. I think the legendary status of Jones once those guys get up close and it's time to face off i think something happens there and you like you alluded Tyson, to like it when you met him in, in real life his body his his length you know the, the length of his arms and once you get in there he let I, I think the first couple exchanges you have that feeling like and anthony smith has probably never had that feeling in his life he's such a tough guy that, that this ain't gonna happen tonight yeah. but it's almost immediate yeah you know it's like you could probably feel the aura across the ring, and then once the fight actually starts, he's touching you in places that he didn't. You didn't, you knew that nobody could get to you at. But he's say that it. again. That was weird. Yeah, that was. That was I, I didn't know who we were talking about. Right let's, let's clip that. Just a nice <laughs> no, but I get it. Like for example, clip. for example, his arms are his 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 wingspan and his reach. I think was eight or ten inches longer than Smith's. In the later rounds, he was his wrist control is amazing, oh. right? His what 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 separates John Jones besides all of the power and the in the creativeness of his punches and elbows and spins and all that is his ability to keep separation, which is a huge part of fighting. He knows that if I'm here, if I'm here being John Jones and you're there, you can't kick me or hit me. So the chances, but if I'm here, I can clip your shin, I can clip your IT band in your quad and your leg, yeah. I can I can smoke your head and your neck, and I can also throw punches. It's just he. And if I get, hold on, if he gets too close, he can right. use those elbows and he was throwing oh, those shoulders. Those elbows, the shoulders are interesting. <laughs> that was, that was interesting. That but you know lot. what I'm saying? It's almost like every part of his fight game, and he said it humbly after he goes, wasn't my best performance. I was like, I felt you could have smoked him in any round. Oh, I might be wrong though. I think uh, earlier version of John Jones would have smoked him in an earlier round. He's just much more savvy and goes, you know, I'm not going to take any chances. He doesn't, you know, I'm not going to take any chances in my personal life, my fighting life. This is going to be a long night. But I got to carry this kid for five rounds and just, you know, not have him do absolutely anything to me. I think one thing that's underlooked on him, and you could see it with his brothers. How'd you like to have two brothers in the NFL and uh, you're still the toughest guy in the family? I know. Like, you know, so, I, I always, I always say that. They always that. say the baddest man in the world is the heavyweight champion of the world. And I don't know if he is right now. 
No, D, I mean no. They're, they're, DC's uh, a bad oh, son of oh, bitch. As far as uh, DC's a bad son of bitch. But oh, dude, that's... I think the the baddest man in the world. I don't. Uh, okay, look, boxing I love and I still watch it and I still oh, support. Yeah. It. It's it's lost a lot of vigor with me. But I had G. Gilbert sitting where you're sitting, and he's saying, you're nuts, dude. Boxing's awesome right now. They make, you know, these boxers are making more in one fight than UFC fighters make their whole career. A lot of, a, not the McGregors and, and some of them, but there's something that's happened in boxing. And we're going to get into this because you've been a boxing fan as long as I have, probably longer. And you've been closer to boxing at the collegiate and professional ranks, closer to it than I have. But before boxing, before we get into the sweet science, I feel like the UFC dominates right now. And I know that one's oh. there now and I know Bellator's there and they're strong. They're taking, they're taking these fighters that are, that are over the UFC, whether they're, you know, they just signed, what's the, the guy's name from Brazil that, that, uh, that Silva knocked out with the one, the, oh, the yes, face uh, kick. Machida. No, not Machida, oh. the face kick. The other guy with the side, the God, what's the name with the Mohawk, the badass Brazilian. Oh, uh, steroids. Yeah. Uh, back in the day with the wrestling shoes on. Yeah. Oh what is gosh. his name? I can't even think of it. They just signed him last week. <laughs> he ran across the ring and... Uh, they just signed uh, him. Uh, I'm out of the brain part, too. Belfort. Yeah. Vitor Belfort. Victor, Vitor Belfort. So they, they signed him and they just... But they signed Sage Northcutt out of Team Alpha Male. They got oh, him good. away from yeah, UFC. They signed, they signed... Sage can't win a fight in UFC. I mean... He won his last two. And he's oh, a, did he win yeah, his... And his last he's two. still signed with... Yeah. Wow, that's I, I heard he got numbers upwards, and I might be wrong again, but somewhere like... Three million a fight for five fights from one. Demetrius Johnson, the guy that lost oh, to Henry yeah. Saludo, it was pretty much unbeatable in the UFC. He's with one now. Yeah. And then these other guys are all going to Bellator. And I'm and, and but the UFC is still the UFC. It's still the cream of the crop. Even though there are great fighters in a bunch of different other leagues and organizations and events, I, I'm asking you this off the top of your head. You don't get five minutes to think about it. I've been watching UFC since Colorado when Joe Rogan had hair no. and and Dan Severn was fighting Gracie and there was no rules and you fought three times a night and there was no weight divisions. I'm not a, a genius at UFC. I'm just a huge fan. Yeah. Who's the best all-around MMA fighter of all time? John Jones. Is he really better oh, than I GSP? Think so. I think so. Better than I, GSP? I... I I can't argue that. I mean, the guy's freaking unreal. I, I love Hendo. Hendo's my favorite fighter oh, of all time. Hendo. Isn't he the man? Oh, I love Hendo. <laughs> Isn't he freaking awesome? I would. I could see you had some fun with Hendo on your uh, Lots of on times. your hunting trip. Lots of times. That's he's a down to earth. He seems like a down to earth guy. It would be great to hang out. No, I just say Jones because I've never seen him come close to losing a fight. Other than the Gustafson, the first Gustafson fight is the only competitive fight I've really seen him ever in, and. Um, you know, I thought George St. Pierre lost a couple fights that he won. I thought he lost to Hendricks. You know, I, I've just seen GSP in a, in bad spots, and I've never seen John Jones in a bad spot. Not but even GS, the first Gustafson GSP's, fight? GSP's a lot of people think that Jones no, lost that first said. No, oh, okay. I, yeah, no, other than the first Gustafson fight. I mean, that's, you know, and, and that was, a I thought John Jones won by the skin <laughs> of his teeth. But um, only, you know, GSP is obviously a legend and a great wrestler. <laughs> I was hoping we just got the timing wrong. But you know who would be a great uh, 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 in prime GSP and Khabib would be unbelievable. Well, I, I don't. It's, that it, would be a fight because it's GSP's so hard to take anything away wrestler. from Khabib. Even oh. though we haven't seen a lot of him, like what Matt Hughes used to do, he defended the title nine times. He used to pick people up and knock them out by slamming them. Yeah. He would. There, he did things that were awesome. 
BJ Penn, even though I don't agree with who's ever managing his career now and letting him get back and he gets embarrassed now and he's one of the baddest dudes of all time. He's in the UFC Hall of Fame. And I'm like, why do you go in there and ruin oh, your leg? So but watch. again, maybe he doesn't care about legacy and he just loves fighting. And I'm like, well, go, go spar. Right. Um, but you're right. Like it's hard. I, I like the style different differences when you, when you, the, the high crotches and the, the double legs that GSP would throw and the power that he had behind his takedowns. John Jones doesn't really, a lot of the times in his fights, the separations there, he's kicking. I love his roundhouse elbows when he's in tight in the clinch, but I, there, the, I love the different styles. Yeah. I love a guy that can throw hands that has really good boxing. I love the way Uriah Faber fought. I love the way Hendo fought. I love the way Matt Hughes fought. Chuck Liddell was awesome to watch. Yeah. It's hard to say the best, but it, I think you're right. If you wrapped everything up into one package, the style of, of John Jones is almost unbeatable. And who knows if anybody can ever beat him. I don't know if there's anybody that's ever been at the 185s, the 205s, the right. heavyweights. Like, Bader's the Bellator champion of the world, and Ryan Bader's a freaking man. He is oh, a God, stud. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jones smoked him. Smoked. smoked it would him. be interesting. That's mm-hmm. what I was gonna. I was gonna say something about Bader. Uh, y- you know, these guys get so much better, so much quicker. You know, their their training partners are amazing. Obviously, Bader trains in the same gym as DC and and uh, Kane Velasquez. So they're you know the the competition they're getting on a daily basis is off the hook, and so. I would love, you know, Bader has all this confidence now. You know, he, what he he lost his last two UFC fights, I think. Yeah, now he's just won the Grand, Grand Prix. And then just, and now he's champ, now. champ. Now he's champ, champ. He's beat the greatest fighter, one, you know, one of the greatest fighters of all the time, of all time, obviously in feet in Fedor, Fedor, and and so his confidence. He's never been uh, more confident as a fighter in his life. He looks great. He's in great shape. I would love to have him come back to the UFC the way he is now and see what he could do you know unfortunately i'm with you we've seen him fight jones that was a very lopsided affair um you know it's hard to figure out how good these other promotions are i think bader versus dc and would be a hell of a matchup with so the wrestling I. but dude nobody understand of, of course fight fans do but dc is a world 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 class wrestler oh absolutely he's amazing yeah. wrestler he made the olympic team didn't he he was on he the was olympic on, team yeah, yeah he was on the olympic team which yeah, is with henry unbe- cejudo who won a gold medal unreal DC, the way that he beat with that dirty boxing when he beat, uh, what's the ex champ stand that just the, beat from uh, Cleveland, the firefighter? Mayo check or <laughs> Mayo It's it, hard yeah. to pronounce. He's a stud. Oh, when gosh, DC yeah. knocked him out with that right, I was like, oh God. Like he now po- he's now he's got power in his hands, which he always has. After but- he poked him in the eye and blinded him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, favoritism. Um <laughs> they 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 I don't know how to say this. I love Bader. I love DC. I love John Jones transitioning all of their fights put together, all of the hype building up to their fights, the, the, the Connor McGregor shit talking. And I want to get into Diaz a little bit and wonder where he's at. Cause I love watching him fight. Um, amazing fight family. Um, Diego Sanchez is fighting this weekend. I know. Saturday. Did you see him on Saturday night behind? He had his like a tank top on or something. I knew he was still. He fighting. looks good. He's in great shape. He looks yeah, good. I watched shape. an interview with him yesterday on Ariel's show, and they he was so witty and clever and well spoken. I was like, damn that the dude's won the Ultimate Fighter fourteen years ago. Yeah. Well, fourteen I'm, years. But anyway. back back to Gilbert, and and I agree with what Gilbert's saying about boxing and all that. What 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 people like that you got to understand. MMA in in the life of things is is a very new sport. 
right? I mean, if you would have uh, told me when uh, uh, John McCain came out and called it human cockfighting in 1997, I mean, that's not that long ago. No. That now that we're here in 2019 and it's on ESPN nightly, and just come off of Fox, just came off and big, Fox and huge pay, ESPN, and pay per view I mean, deals. It's absolutely incredible how mainstream it is now. And now that it's mainstream, I mean, we're very virgin in this mainstream thing as far as my kids watching it on ESPN and everything else. Wait until all that develops, you know, give that 20 years and then let's see where these salaries are at because these guys are going to be huge superstars. The difference right now with the UFC and boxing is. There's this perception that um, the UFC is somehow more much uh, more dangerous than boxing. Where the reality is, you know, in boxing, People somebody died. stuns you, you get an eight count. You know, you get that concussion, you get an eight count. They give you eight seconds to to recover. Unfortunately, a lot of times when you get that eight seconds, you are able to recover. Your brain's not. Then they throw you back in there. You get concussed again. In the UFC, you get concussed. The fight's over right away i yeah. mean it's just you know that quick so i you know there's a lot of doctors out there a lot of neurologists out there that are actually making the argument that, that mma is, is safer than boxing um i think that the, i think that the the way that people portray it with all of the different kicks uh, a lot of blood probably a lot more blood on the mat and octagon than there's ever been in a boxing you, know, you yeah. get a bloody nose once in a while but those gloves aren't cutting you right. like the elbows are right. um the and stuff like that but i agree with you 100 percent. boxing is you get hit in the ribs a body shot and i've again we're going back to joey i've uh, trained with him cool. and, and worked out with him and seen him throw mitts just his jump roping is intimidating and you're like absolutely and then you watch where i'm going with this all of those fights leading up the shit talking, the 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 agents and all of the the promoters and the press conferences and the walk-ins or the weigh-ins and the walk-ins and the music and the announcements and Bruce Buffer doing his thing. Bruce Buffer is it? Is that the one in the UFC? Just, uh, yeah, uh, Michael, Michael Buffer was Buffer. the big one, but Bruce yeah, Buffer's yeah, UFC. You're right. You're right. Oh. None of it to me personally. And I watch these daily, and I'll show you where I watch them. They're on this device right here daily. I wake up and I watch them before I get out and put my feet on the ground because it motivates me. I watch Rooney and Tyson and Cuss every day. Oh, nice. I do. I do. Oh, I watch them awesome. every day. And you got to see these videos. And none of these fights, and I know they're big, and I know that the UFC sold for $4.2 and I know that they went from Fox and signed a huge TV deal and, and, and broadcast deal with ESPN, and they got the new ESPN app, and all of this stuff's going on. None of it, in my opinion adds up to what Mike Tyson did. And I, and I know Mike Tyson's good friends with Dana and a lot of the fighters and he's a huge supporter, but when you go back and you watch this and people are like that piece of shit and he went through 330 million and he had his management was bad. Don King was bad. I don't care what it was. 18 year old kid or 17 years old found by cuss trained in those gyms and hell's kitchens in Brooklyn and, and, and that part of New York, 19 years old, the heavyweight champion of the world, Bentley's mansions, Robin Givens, televised. Uh, um, yeah, go, buy, go, go, go buy me two tigers. You know, like okay. he was buying tigers when he was 20. Oh yeah. Well, wouldn't you? My point is this, is that what he did for combat sports and I'm, I, I was too young. I was, wasn't born when Ali was champion. I know that right. Ali's a bad, well, I know that there's right. tons of badasses. I'm simply talking about Iron Mike. Yep. I've never seen anything like it. And when you go back now at our age now and see when he would walk into the ring with that Rocky Marciano towel and those black boots and the way that he would come at you like that back and forth and then come down and hit that body shot with that right cross of the ribs and then that uppercut's waiting and you're like, 
There's no man. And when we talked about the fights over before it started, oh my God. you talk about Bone Crusher and Spinks and Tony Tucker and Larry Holmes and all of the guys that he went through, which he should have went through Buster Douglas in the same fashion in oh, 1990. Yeah. Absolutely. I know that I'm rambling on. I don't know if there's ever been that kind of energy in a fighting, in any kind of fighting. Oh, I don't think, I think the thing that, you know, especially now you make a good point when you go back and look at it is you go, you know, there's that kid from Duke University that plays basketball now, Zion Williamson. He's doing amazing things. And, then, you know, he's a freshman. He's 19 years old. He's an athletic freak. And you go, wow. Mike Tyson was the heavyweight champion of the world at 19 years old. And people, you know, just wrap your head around that for a second. Undisputed by undisputed 20. Undisputed by 20. I mean, it's just incredible to be that young of a man and to have all your man strength to begin with. And just, just to have, you know, it takes a while, especially in boxing, to be able to go through those first tier guys, then your second tier guys, then your guys that have been around for forever that have fought for titles and they're ring savvy, they're 35 years old, they've been in it forever, and you go in there and knock them through the ropes in 90 seconds. I mean, it's just, it's terrifying. An absolute freak. I don't know if we'll ever see it again. You bring you know, up a great like, point before you go on. The great, the best point you made in that and you made it a few but the best point you made is that people will go well who the hell's that guy and who the hell's that i'm like dude that's tony freaking tucker go look right. what he, look at what bone right. crusher smith and exactly. bone crusher smith laid some good shots on tyson oh my god larry holmes put some good leather on tyson and i'm like that's ring savvy generalship like those guys <clears throat> knew exactly tyson was new to it if it's so funny to watch tyson's amateur videos because you're like that guy's get, He's never going to have any experience in the ring because he's knocking dudes into the first row in a boxing match. It looked like a WWE event. They're literally laying out of the ring, down, like not moving. You're like, oh my god! And that kid, that's eighteen year old kid from Columbia. You know, some (laughs) big kid, and he's fourteen. Yeah, it's it's freaking unreal. And and dude, and it's the same thing. The point you just made is like when you get into that that. um, The 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 standoff when the the referees reading the rules. You know what's that called? When they, right before the they touch gloves, the face-off, face dude, his eyes in every fight, back and forth, and that guy's just so, they're sweating, and they're, they're scared shitless. We, you, you're going to have to look this up, but I think Michael Spinks is undefeated when he did that yep. time, wasn't he? Yep. They're both undefeated. Think yep. about that. Yeah. And, and, not just and undefeated. Pay. Not just undefeated. He was favored. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, it wasn't like Mike Tyson was a lopsided favorite to win that fight. That Michael Spinks was the deal. It took him forever to get Michael Spinks to say yes because he didn't think Tyson deserved a shot. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah, dude, he <laughs> was. He were you talking about how scared he was in the face-off? Oh my lord, he was scared that's, out of his oh, mind. You dude. couldn't. I, I, he, he barely got away with those white trunks that night. <laughs> oh, he almost it's shot lucky, himself. It's lucky he's on his back, dude. Quickly. I'm telling you, if you, I'm, you're a fight fan, and I go and I watch like another one. It's Roy Jones Jr. Holy, oh my lord, shit, what a career! Oh. And now it's like UFC's come along, and kids that are maybe 10 years younger than us. Let's say that you're in your, I'm 44, you're 44. Let's say that you're 33, 34, 32, somewhere in there. I don't even know if they know who Roy Jones Jr. was and what he did to that weight, those weight divisions in boxing to where he literally would look like Carl Weathers in Rocky Four with the top hat, with the cape, with the red, white, and blue. He'd come in with getting carried oh. on his shoulders and shit on their shoulders like they do in a nightclub to deliver bottles of Dom Perignon and you're like, this dude is a theatrical thing, and he would get in there and absolutely oh. destroy people. He, you he, want to talk about doing it to guys that, you know, I remember specifically, specifically sitting with my brother and dad, 
and he's fighting this guy. Okay, it's Roy Jones Jr.'s, or, you know, it's Roy Jones' next victim. So we don't know who it is. This guy comes in wearing a mask over his face, calls himself the executioner. Bernard the Hopkins. Executioner Hopkins. Yeah. And we're laughing at him. Yeah. And he gets knocked out in round five or whatever it was with a kidney shot. And the rest is history. I go back and watch tape after Bernard Hopkins obviously becomes one of the most legendary wealth, uh, middleweight, uh, light heavyweight guys of all time. All time. And you look back at that fight and go, he was undefeated and so was Jones. And we're literally laughing hysterically at, at Bernard Hopkins like he's Pinklin Thomas or something. Yeah. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's like the, the, the amount of guys that those guys do that to. I'll tell you the thing with, with boxing that um, you know my brother goes into it a lot too. What concerns me about boxing is you and I are huge boxing fans. Well, we went through all these things with John Jones. We went all through all these things with Mike Tyson, Boom Boom Mancini, Roy Jones. Roy Jones, you mean? Yeah. What I say, John Jones. John. But you meant yeah. boxing, right? Oh, we went boxing, one hundred percent. But we went through all these legendary boxers: marvelous Marvin Hagler in Sugar our Ray lives, Leonard, Sugar Ray Leonard, Leonard Roberto name, Duran. I could name Loved sixty them. right now. Exactly. The problem is, I don't know that this younger generation, your fight fans right now, which would be anywhere from we started falling in love with boxing, six, 15, 16 years old to, to 44, they are missing the boxing now. So, so it's like they automatically skip boxing and go into MMA. All, everybody in that age range, I would, I would venture to... Uh, argue with anybody is more into MMA, more into UFC. I would, I would, I would almost, I would bet, I would bet everything I have on it. That's where you have a problem is, is if the younger generation isn't loving boxing and they're not in love with the kids coming out and they don't know who Deontay Wilder is and they don't know who all the other, uh, Current I love watching him are. fight, by the way. Me too. I love him. Me too. It's, it was interesting <laughs> to me that he couldn't, um, Finish. you know, yeah, that was that was strange. That, that dude's weird though. That dude's got unreal like 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 uh How'd you like to walk into a pub and see him? Yeah, like you look at him and he's Cuz he fight you too. Yeah, he doesn't care. He's, he's a bouncer. He's a bouncer and he's oh, like he's that guy that just laughs at you oh, and yeah. then you're and then you're eating your teeth and you're just like, "Oh shit." Well, yeah, cuz it's like how can a guy that's 7 foot tall What ever is his name? Out? I can't even think of his Fury. 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 Tyson Fury. Yeah, Tyson Fury. I can't remember oh, his no, name. he's a beauty. He is no, you're talking about missing a few screws. It, it, when Ooh. he got knocked down in the 8th or whatever that was that night by by him, I was like, he's got to be done. And when he stood up, and that, and the the camera goes, the Dante, and you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're like, you you could tell that he was like, what the hell just happened? Like, how do you get up from that? Yeah. But yeah. The, I think to your point, your point is badass about people have missed it. Now you go and well, why can't the guys that are UFC guys and, and MMA guys? There's an MMA gym on every corner. They're like churches now. Like people are building churches like they're pharmacies and most churches have pharmacies and that's a whole other topic of discussion that I don't even want to touch right now but there's fight gyms everywhere now and they're successful and people are and it's awesome it's a cool way to go get in shape discipline learn learn how to defend yourself and I'm wondering if these guys that watched Connor and and Floyd when they did that whole which was okay everybody that I talked to I, I I respect them oh Connor did good Connor did better than I thought. I truly think that Mayweather could have ended it whenever he wanted. Oh, yeah. He could have went in there and hit him with 15 body shots in the first round. And I know that he let... And Connor's talented. Connor, Connor's tough. He's got that killer instinct. Absolutely. His last fight probably messed him up mentally for a while because that Russian, Khabib, absolutely destroyed him in every... And Connor came out with that thing and, and he did a round-by-round breakout. And I was like, 
I think you're being a little favorite towards yourself. I, I didn't see it the way Connor did. I saw Khabib just mopped him up on his takedowns, his wrestling, his hands, his clinches, everything. I thought he was lopsided. Well, he said he won around. I didn't see him winning around. Yeah, he said he won around. Anyway, my point in saying that was maybe somebody could go and research what Floyd Mayweather has done, even though he hasn't had the cleanest record as far as like his public display, you know, his appearance. I, whatever it is, I don't care. You take a kid that has come up as an amateur and now all of a sudden is worth three he's making 300 million dollars by throwing what he he used to do for free of course you're going to have a little bit of partying and a little bit of shit talking i I don't blame him for it well you know people forget about floyd is when he was 20 and 0 it was floyd sugar mayweather yeah sugar wasn't making any money no you know sugar was just a guy that you know i mean he he was just not recognized it's almost like the Deion Sanders thing. He's sitting in his hotel when he's sitting in his dorm room at Florida State, and he looks at the NFL salaries, and he says cornerbacks, DBs, are getting paid less than anybody in the NFL. That's when he created prime time, you know, and he, and he talks about it. it's hilarious. So he he created there's Deion and then there's prime time. Prime time went on to be the the uh, uh, highest paid cornerback uh, ever in, in the NFL because he created this persona prime time. Same thing Floyd did. He went from Sugar Mayweather said, man, Sugar's not getting paid. Then he turned into Floyd Money Mayweather. Everybody in America either loves him or hates him. Guess what? The people that hate him are paying for the fights to see him lose. People that love him are obviously paying for the fights to see Money. him lose. It's a Howard Stern mentality. You yeah. know, like, you know, what, what, did, what did the people say? You know, they, they kept listening to him for two and a half hours even though they hated him. Yeah. Well, what, you listened to the whole show and you hated him? Well, it's, <laughs> like, it's like you're only going to say that you hate somebody because you don't want to be somebody that wants to go, Oh my God, this guy's making 50 million a year talking about this. And he's got Robin there and he's saying the N word, but she's black and he gets away with it because he did it the right way. And you, he has Fred on the sound machine. He's got Gary Delabody. I could do a whole podcast with you on him oh, and that show in Beetlejuice. And oh, I'm like, how, how does, how does a guy like Howard Stern, how does he get away with saying racist stuff and having people talk about racism on his platform? When he's got a, a black female as his cohort, as his co, his uh, sidekick, how did he get away? He does it. He's not racist. He talks about it the right oh, way. She talks not. about it. But it's almost like he broke every law. He broke the SEC wanted to shut. Not the SEC. The the not the Security Exchange Commission, but the communication. What is it? FEC. FCC. FCC. God, I'm an idiot. You'll today. find out after this broadcast. Your <laughs> <laughs> last broadcast. FCC wanted to shut. They tried. They shut him down and kicked him off radio tons of times. No. Oh, I'm not getting off of the fight game here. But what he did is genius too. And the people that hated on him, no. they hated on him because they're like, "How is he getting away? How is he making money? Nobody knows how long he struggled to get to where he was, and how 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 the tenacity that he had to stay after it. Private Parts does a good job of of right. portraying that and showing it. Great. But the Howard Stern story to where he's at now at 63, 64 years old, probably a real life billionaire with investments. I don't oh, know easily. how much he's worth on paper, but his show to do it now he does it three days a week, and it uh-huh. used to be four and five. You said it perfect this morning. Thirty years. Same cast of characters. He's made homeless people, uh, little people or midgets or dwarfs or whatever the political term is that you call them, uh, mentally slow people, handicapped people. 
He's made him famous. He's given my people like he's oh. making fun of him for his own benefit. I'm like, no, he's not. Oh. Those people are <laughs> loving it. <laughs> Hank the Dwarf and Beetlejuice and Wendy and dude, Gary the Conqueror. Uh, am I on to something here? Do you oh, think yeah. that he is doing that for his own benefit? Of course it's entertaining. <laughs> but Scotty, those guys are freaking getting money to go do appearances now. Oh, absolutely now. they are. They, they, I mean, you can go see them in Wichita, Kansas. You know, Fred the Elephant Boy has got, you know, <laughs> signing autographs for 60 people. It's unbelievable. Think about what Howard Stern has done. Even though some of the things that Gary Delabati says in the last year, I want to punch him. Like, when I hear Gary or oh, Baba Booey talk, I'm, Gary like, kills I'm like, dude, just stop. Just freaking stop. Like, just stop all of the theatrics. I mean, just shut up and produce a show. Love Gary. I love Toothy. Tooth. The best part about that show has got to be the songs. Oh, easily. Those pe- those folks that call in and do those songs, Cy, the rest of them, are just, they are absolutely hilarious. I mean, first of all, they can sing. They've got musical talent. And they've just got the greatest I just came up with an idea. And it's probably already had somebody's idea. But we have to go and get Sour Shoes. Oh. And turn him into a freaking play-by-play and color commentator for UFC or something, uh, where he goes back and forth with every voice of of Mike Mike. Uh, what was the guy's name? What's the guy's name on baseball MLB? The the real loud New York guy that's been on the show before with the guy. Oh, that, oh uh, uh, yeah, uh, Mad Dog. Mad Dog Mad and Dog. his old partner Mike. <laughs> you hear. When when freaking sour shoes calls Mike, oh, and Mike God. knows it's him most oh, of the time. It's the best, and he was his partner for twenty years. Twenty years, and he's like yeah, acting like mad. Still get confused. And sometimes. then and then he, when he does Gary Delabate. Okay, so anyway, <clears throat> some of the coolest interviews on that show were Mike Tyson and freaking oh, and uh, and uh, Joe Lewis when he or Frazier when he go in there and he could barely talk because of all of his head all of his head trauma. But to, to do what people have done and to be the self-titled or self-acclaimed king of all media like Stern's done or what Tyson did at that age, it's always better to go back and figure out how and why and learn from it. Like why did Tyson go through 330 million and go to jail for rape and, and have these managers that probably didn't have his best interest in mind. And we, in the way he feels about Don King, obviously there was something there about the corruptness of that guy. I'm not passing judgment on Don King cause I've never done business with him, but I'm just saying Go back and figure out how does that happen to be that much of a spectacle, that much of a talent, win those big fights, pay-per-view dollars, houses, the mansions that 50 Cent bought from him and, and all of the stuff. Why did it have to go that way for somebody that was so important? And here he is today at 51 years old. And he's been out of box. He is probably the most famous boxer today, right now. Would you oh, say easily. he is? Oh, Would you say that he is? Oh, I don't of all time, besides oh, Muhammad Ali, probably. Oh, I think that's easy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as far as being alive, he's yeah. I mean, it's him and Muhammad Ali. Uh, they're you know, everybody knows who Mike Tyson is. Everybody. Knows. I mean, there's. I I think the ten year old kids these days know who Mike Tyson is. You know, he's that. He's around enough now. He's he's prevalent and at, at UFC events. You see him other places. I mean, there's. His, his, have you seen his stand-up thing? His, uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Broadway. Unbelievable. His whole, the whole documentary in that Broadway show, the documentary's okay. I I will say this. I love Rogan. I love Rogan's podcast. I love the Joe Rogan experience. I think that he's a, he is so well-versed in so many areas. I was not one bit entertained or impressed with the Mike Tyson podcast. Oh really? I don't know if you've listened to it, but you got to go listen to it. I just, and I know that Joe was probably like, you know, I got to, you know, go into this first one with Tyson and, 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 but it was just, it was just different. You got to hear it. I was, I wanted him to get in the, like, I want to know what he did the night before 
he lost to Buster Douglas. What really went down in Tokyo? Because you weren't Mike Tyson during the fight. Were you on s- some drugs? Were you oh, shooting soccer? Sure. Well, I mean, yeah. I want to know the story. Like maybe he goes in there and says, I won't talk about this, this, and this. Don't bring up Buster Douglas. Don't bring up Don King. Don't bring up Robin Givens. There, maybe they set the parameters for that. But Rogan, you, I, I wanted him to get into the weeds. And maybe he will on another one. And maybe Mike Tyson doesn't want to get in the weeds. But on his documentary and on that Broadway deal, he did. Oh, yeah. He but- talked about the rape and, and that night in Indianapolis in the hotel room and all that. Well, the one thing I'd ask Tyson if I could would be that night in Tokyo. He didn't bring a cut, man. No, he's got one of the guys in his entourage filled up a medical, one of those plastic medical gloves with cold water. Cold water. And they're holding that up against his eye. Remember how big his eye was? Yep. They didn't have an iron. They didn't bring a cold iron. Nothing to put on his eye and get all the blood out of it. So this guy's holding, (laughs) looks like a turkey hanging off his head. You know, with the remember the press conference the next day. Unbelievable, because they didn't treat his eye afterwards. No, I mean it's like you don't bring a cut man to a fight. That's you know a little bit of overconfidence. I just I I hate the Mike Tyson years from that to the rape to the Holyfield to the Lennox Lewis. I was like. Stop. Just stop it's it. Brutal. Quit getting Peter McNeely. Who gives a flying rat's ass if you beat this guy or not? Now, again, Peter oh. McNeely would knock me into next week. I'm oh, not exactly. saying that he's not a good fighter, but this is freaking Mike Tyson. Kind of exactly. like the BJ Penn image. Exactly. Get, the, get out of there. I Go coach. It. Keep your image. And when I watched those first fights from 85 to 90, and then everything that went down in the rape, and who knows the legalities, that's a weird deal all in itself. That's really weird. I don't even know if you want to get into that. I don't know. I don't agree with it. Oh, I don't know. But the only thing I know about it is that I'm raising a young woman myself, and she will know 100% if she goes over to the heavyweight champion of the world's hotel room at 3 in the morning. In a that, trench that's coat. not a good idea. It's you know, not, it's it's not, not a good idea, and you're going to have a hard time accusing anybody of rape the next morning in a situation like that where you're willingly going up to their hotel room at that time of night. Um, you know, I... I it could very easily happen, but but you know the the facts of the matter is she definitely went in there by herself, and so you know who knows what happened in the hotel room. It wasn't like I'm Tyson just saying I'm going to raise up. my daughter yeah. to not do something like that because you're you're putting yourself in a really bad spot for people to say did it or didn't you can't happen. tell me that athletes and, and musicians and rock stars all over the world and not just them. Anybody can be in, in, a, in a hotel, a single man, and have a girl come over there and visit them. And it happens all over the world every day. Right. We live right above Las Vegas. It happens there probably more so than anywhere. Oh, absolutely. Of hookups, quote unquote hookups happening. They met earlier at the pageant deal. There's video of a meeting and hugging and flirting and smiling and being sweet to each other. Three in the morning? That's yeah. just, that's, I mean, I could see if you went over there for dinner at eight just to have a nice dinner with the dude. But, and I don't want to get into it because I don't want to sound like I no, know, we I don't know what happened. And yeah, I'm not saying she's lying, but it's like three dude. in the morning is a rough time for book club. <laughs> yeah, three. <laughs> Well, it's five o'clock somewhere, man. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I get like when I, I start getting so upset when I when I, I got all of his books over there. You can see oh, yeah. you can see Undisputed and all the Tyson stuff. If you go in my in my office on the other side of that wall there, I got awesome Mike Tyson stuff in there. You got you got right. tape off oh, of his yeah. gloves and shit. It's you've been unreal. in the ring. You've yeah. you've seen him fight live more it's, than me. But. I'm telling you, like that that time in professional sports, I when Buster Douglas beat him, I cried. Does that sound weak? Like people are like, you're an idiot, but no, I cried. I was like, dude, that's Mike Tyson. The cra- you know, our family or our parents' generation always remember where they were when uh, JFK got shot. I know where I was L- when Tyson got literally. Beat isn't that strange? Isn't like weird? I was at the Capitol Classic. You played for the Capitals. Uh, it's a baseball team down in Carson City. They were having their annual fundraiser, and I'll never forget. A guy got up on Mike. They're doing the. You auction. didn't watch it. 
No, I couldn't because first of all, I was in Tokyo, so nothing was live back then. We, it was on pay per view, though. Was it on pay per view? Yeah, it was on See, I think, yeah I th we were dying because we had to go to the Capitol Classic. So this guy gets up on mic, Freddie Dalmore was there, every, you know, some folks oh, you missed earlier, it. and says, I'd just like to announce Mike Tyson lost in Tokyo earlier tonight, and everybody in the room, no yes. shit, started laughing. Like it was a joke. Oh, yeah, like a nice opener. Yeah, right. Dude. And literally, it wasn't like everybody had smartphones where you're looking it up or anything else. I didn't know, like, I, I went outside the, the deal and I was kind of upset, like, what, you know, is you that, is that for real? It. Is that for real? And one of my dad's buddies grabbed me. He had just gotten off the phone or however he figured it out. He goes, no, that is the absolute case. He lost in Tokyo. I go, who was he fighting? I, didn't, I was like, Buster, Buster Douglas. Douglas. Like, I was just, I cried. And, I, and it's so funny you say that. Like, nobody wanted brutal. to believe it. It was oh. like, and I'm not comparing a loss in the heavyweight no, title I'm just saying to that. what you said. I'm not, I know you're not comparing it to JFK's no, assassination in all. Dallas. Not at all. But it is, it was like those people in the room, even for somebody to get on stage and announce that at a public event means that he was a cultural icon. He wasn't, that didn't happen on a Sugar Ray Leonard fight. Oh, that didn't happen not. on a George Foreman fight. I bet no. you it, it happened on an Ali fight. Oh, for, yeah. Back I mean, in the well, 60s. No, not really, because to be quite honest and, and be real straight up, that would have never happened with because Ali. of the pay per view, the draft, and the access, well, the draft, the draft dodging and everything else. Ali was not that popular when he was fighting. That's a good point well too. That's you know what point. I mean? My grandfather did not like Muhammad Ali at all because of the draft. Why did we like Mike Tyson? So. What drew us? And, and and you could say this about anybody. What draws us to that that Conor McGregor type of mentality? That's that's crass and and the the things that Tyson would say. You're like. Wow, dude, that we all know that Tyson probably wasn't the sanest person in the world. Oh, not he, at all. And he admits he wasn't. He was he 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 knows that through from 90 to 96, 97 and all that wasn't him. He didn't even want to be in the ring anymore. Right. Especially when he came out of prison, he didn't want to be in the ring. Right. But what as as individuals in society and culture, what draws us to that? Is it it's, are we hanging on him? Are we living through him vicariously? Oh, I think so. I think there's something to be the baddest man on the planet type thing for the heavyweight division. You know, that was always the case when we were growing up. Like you said earlier, I don't know if it it's is. It's funny today. that you use the adverb the, was. Right. Not the adverb. What kind of speech is that? Was what is oh God, I'm an idiot today. But you said was because the heavyweight champion of the world in boxing was the baddest oh, man in the world back then. It was undisputed. Now, like now, ninety. It. I bet you we could go around this neighborhood, and I would say ninety percent of the people within a five mile radius of us don't know who the heavyweight champions of the world oh, there are. There is now. no way. No way. There huh? is no way. It would maybe be, all it'd of be higher city. than. Uh, it'd be, it'd be, you'd, you'd have to maybe search somebody out to figure but out. But I bet you they know who Conor McGregor is. They do, and Conor is an interesting. Uh, to me, it's almost easier to explain than Tyson. I mean, Tyson is that just every guy kind of wants to be him because he's such a bad man, you know, the toughest guy on the planet. That's easy to emulate, too. Connor is, he's got perfect comedic timing. He's good looking. You know, he's, he's the most charismatic guy you ever met. The first time you ever saw him fight, he jumps up on the microphone and says, we're not here to take part, we're here to take over. I mean, that line, every line he has is now immortalized on posters and you name it. But I don't, maybe he sits around and thinks about these things. To me, it'd be hard to sit around and think about things and then still try to come up with them after you're done fighting somebody. I think he's just a naturally brilliant type of guy. And those things he says, I'm not talented, I'm obsessed. Don't call me, don't call me talented. I work and work and work. You know, I, I have relates. that. It's relatable. I, I have that quote. I gave that quote out to all of my basketball players last year. It's hilarious. It had a picture, full, full color picture image of Connor with blood all over his eye. 
holding the belt up with that quote, I'm not talented, I'm obsessed. And it goes on to, to say that, you know, I've worked for everything I've got. Don't you dare call me talented. Every, we're all built as human beings. We're all equal as human beings. I outwork you is basically the... I love it. I think it's... The a- gist of the quote. But, you know, what a, what a brilliant kid. I mean, he literally talked himself. Think about into this. Into a Mayweather fight. Into a $100 million fight. Maybe more. Maybe more. And he, uh, that's all he Speaking did. Speaking of him talk. real quick, but I, I, I agree 100%. Is the proper whiskey good? You said you bet a guy. I, think I haven't had it. I think it's unbelievable, but that, you really? know, it could be. I, I, somebody's probably going to have to do a blind taste test because my love of Connor is noted. It, it is. That and, is. Uh, that's, that's your to deal. To me, it tasted so good. It really that's did. That's your guy. It really did. I took, you know, I, I like... Uh, Jameson too. I thought it was no, but that's your guy. Was, He's your guy. Oh, I love. So let Connor. me ask you this: thing. I the, struggle with Floyd. The Khabib fight was brutal. It's been so when it comes to when it comes to when it comes to that kind of instance of a guy like Floyd. I mean, not Floyd of Connor, and you got Dana, and you got the the organization and the ownership of the UFC. And this is two sided, and I don't know where I stand on it. You build these these certain athletes up, Rousey. Yeah. smoked by home and she goes away and she's in the WWE. Now she was a trailblazer. She's called a trailblazer because all these girls are now influ, you know, just, they're yeah. just all over there infatuated with fighting now. And right. they, there's an influx of them in the, in the MMA game in the fight game. She, it, there was a lot of girls that fought before, uh, you know, in boxing matches and wrestling matches and judo matches. Oh, yeah. And Rhonda was there. The UFC put her on a level, but then they built her up so fast. Go make movies with Sylvester Stallone and Randy Couture and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger and whatever those movies were she was in. Then Holly Holmes comes in, 12 or 15-time world kickboxing champion, and smokes her to where the, everybody's like, oh, my God, right? And then Connor comes in. He goes in, and he's built up and touted and touted and touted, and then Khabib comes in and just smashes him, and you're like, and I know it's the fight game, but is there a point to where you're like, dude, quit building up these certain – I know you're making money off of them, but it's, it, fighting is not always about the money. There is legacy, and I guarantee you that it bugs Connor McGregor that he lost that fight the way he did. Oh, I guarantee it's got to. There, fighting's about legacy. There is a lot of money involved in it, and I love that he has made a good living. He's loaded, rich now in Ireland. He could oh, probably yeah. he's, him and his baby and his wife are living nice, and oh, his absolutely. mom and dad. But it's the fight game. Yep. Is there a point where you're like, dude, why are you building them up and putting them on such a pedestal all the time, yep. making them your boy, making them your person? It's almost like John Jones is there now because they moved that, that Nevada fight to LA. That pissed some people off. Yeah. Is, is that happening, you think? And it's, oh, I do. And I think it's disarming. In the second part, and go ahead, is can Connor rebound from that and come back? And will he fight again? And who will he fight? Will he get a rematch? What's next? Yeah, I think, I think the answer to the first question is it's totally disarming to do that to any fighter. You know, the more invincible a fighter feels, you run into it's a, a situation word. like yeah. Tokyo for Mike Tyson and khabib for connor and you go holy crap this is not my night but when when everybody's telling you that you're the toughest person ever you know it's got to be you have to have an unbelievable self-restraint to still train at your hardest level when everybody's telling you that you're unbeatable you know and unfortunately we're all weak people in a way i think you know tyson obviously didn't have the mental capacity to do that and still run as hard as he could the whole training camp for buster douglas with people telling him that Connor had a similar problem. I think for sure Connor will definitely fight again. I think he's going to make, he might make more money off this proper 12 thing than uh, he ever made in the fight game. I just went into my Rayleigh's here in Reno and they have a huge stack of proper 12. I'm going, okay, three months ago, I couldn't find this at Ben's. Yeah. You know, now all of a sudden it's at grocery stores. So, 
that's obviously blown up. I just think the guy loves to fight, you know, and I'm sure he'll come back. It sounds like the next fight he's going to have is Cowboy, even though Dana kind of denied that. God, I'd love to see that. That'd be a perfect fight for him. Would you bet on Connor? (laughs) If you had, if I, if you had 10 grand and you had a disposable income of 10 grand or disposable amount of money that you could get rid of, would you take Connor right away in that fight? Oh, I wouldn't, I would never bet against Connor when the guy's, when, when his opponents. I will uh, bet you. I'm not saying I'll bet you 10 grand, but I will take. Cerrone okay. on that fight. Okay, that's fine. He's looked amazing lately. I, I, I'm not saying that Connor's not. Connor's amazing. Well, but dude, Cowboy is on is on on, top his, right on his feet. Cowboys look good on his feet. He's a submission He's, expert too, bro. No, I know, but you you know he Connor that that same uh, the the arm length we were talking about with John Jones and the ability for him to get to you. Connor, I think, is so confusing in there striking wise. He's got his issues wrestling and jujitsu, obviously. But if you're going to stand up and fight with Connor, and you've seen it with Alvarez and all these different guys, even uh, Chad Mendez, they just go in there and they go, "What in the hell?" You know, he's just so long and so unorthodox. Very I know Chad. Unorthodox. I know Chad Mendez, your buddy. Would, he was way out of shape would, when he fought. He, he only had he four weeks in, the first round. in training, and no, and absolutely, he got knocked out. Him. He got and Connor's a stud. I, I know. I I know Mendez would would do anything to get that fight back, and I don't blame him. I think the UFC does. You know. Uh, Chad Mendez deserves that fight back because he did, you know, that's what bothers me about the UFC. You alluded it to a little bit, but think about the favor that Chad Mendez did the UFC for that, yeah. for that night. And good for Connor for ch- fighting Chad Mendez because it's a horrible matchup for Connor. And Chad is tough as tough can be. But, you know, he jumps in whatever it was, four or six weeks of training camp and fights the He was drinking a beer. Far. He was drinking a beer on a fishing boat in San Diego when he got the phone call. Unbelievable. And said, Yeah, I'm good. I'm and then good. throws down. And then was now, it in Brazil? So what? Was it in Brazil? You, you know what? I think it was think because it was, it was supposed to be Aldo and Aldo hurt himself. Yeah. Or, you and know, then Mendez fought Aldo and it was the fight of the year. Absolutely. It's one of the best fights of all time. Unbelievable. Yeah. So that's, you know, what, what I, I, I don't know. I don't know if Chad? you know this, but you know that, you know, it's so funny you're asking me this effing question because he was on that card when Jones was in Vegas with Gus's son and then it went to that's LA right. yeah, yeah, yeah. and he lost that night to that kid. That's right. Yeah. From, yeah. I think he was from Russia or Ireland. No, he, I don't remember where he was. He was freaking tough. That's right. Chad didn't look good in that fight. He, he looked weird. He was fighting weird. I, I didn't like the way he looked when he got the octagon again. I'm not a fight genius or a fight know-it-all. I'm just saying when I talked to Chad after I go, dude, you didn't look right. He goes, I wasn't right. He didn't make any excuses, but he quit. He's done. He retired from the UFC. Oh, did he? Yeah. yeah. And he has four or five fights left on his contract. He was so pissed off about that performance and the whole deal that took place in all of that. I think he was. I don't know exactly why, but he retired that night. He told his corner that night, I'm glad you all are here. I brought you all to this fight because I was telling myself that I'm done in the UFC after this fight, win or, win or lose. That's awesome. That's good for him. But you I know, hate it though because I well, love I hate him it fight. too. I want to watch him fight too. But he made you know, no, he made, did not make enough money to put his body through that torturous training, yeah. and it is torturous. They put their oh, body through God. some shit, oh. and then to go in there and lose in, in in six minutes or ten minutes really. I think it was in the second round he got beat, or maybe the third. But I'm like, man, you're leaving the fight game, and this is what you love. He's got a great backup plan. He's going to be hugely successful in whatever he does, and I love him like a brother. But to see him leave. Not on his, like he's saying, right. he, he's leaving on his own recognizance, but he's saying, I'm not leaving because I, I, I'm hurt or I'm done fighting. He's young, he's in shape, he's tougher than shit. It's just like, he never got that break. Right, and that's, to me, if you want to differentiate yourself from boxing, if I was Dana White with a guy like Chad, a, 
Chad is the perfect example for this. You got four fights left in your contract. I, let's say each one of those fights is worth a half a million dollars. Here's your half a million dollars. You get one fight for me for free for that favor you did on the Conor McGregor fight and everything. I've never, every time I've ever called you, you're a whenever, whoever, whenever, you know, you have ne- every time I've wanted you, you're here. So give and back so to him. Here's another fight, you know, here's a free purse for a fight that you don't have to do. Love you. You want a job in Vegas? And that's where I was I going you, with I my mean, questioning to you, you about. Start treating them like that. That's why I, where I was going with the Rousey, Conor McGregor, right, John Jojo. Is that why is there favorites in the fight game when Chad Mendez could literally beat the shit out of Conor on any given day? Oh, exactly. Not saying that he would beat him every time. Conor right. could beat him on any given day. But Chad Mendez fought Aldo, who was considered the best in the world at that time. And I know McGregor knocked him out in seven seconds or whatever it was, which was an unreal punch. Right. Terrible fight game by Aldo that night. He did not fight his fight. He ran in there like a bulldog and got knocked out. But anyway, Connor's a bad son of a bitch. But I'm, I agree with you and love you for saying it. Is why not take Chad Mendez and treat him at the same level, a, a college All-American with a guy that will never say no to a fight. And when he goes in and fights, he whips people's asses. That's why. Because if you if you put him against the wrong guy, like the title holder, he'll win. And, that, and, and now you have a that. guy that has a, that's a title holder that you and I love. He's a great so you're fighter, saying that Dana protects his fighters. Down. Oh, I think it's pretty apparent when, you know, you know how bad Dana wanted Tyrone Woodley to lose. And I don't know what he thinks about now that Dana or Tyrone Woodley lost to a fellow wrestler. But to me, just looking at the UFC and studying everything else, uh, Dana White is not a fan of wrestlers. He comes from a boxing background. He wants people to stand up and fights. He wants exciting fights. He... That's not the essence of the USC. He's got to get off that a little bit because... And Chad had awesome hands. And Chad could throw hands. You and I like a good fight. Chad Mendez is a perfect example of that. He's a perfect fighter for us. He's awesome. Uh, A person that, uh, like my brother, might be a good example. He wants to sit sit there and watch guys stand up and throw, right? So he could watch maybe a master's class performance by Chad Mendez. And you and I would look at each other and go, that was one of the greatest fights we've ever seen. He'd go, that was boring. Dana White's worried about that person that's saying that's boring. So you watch it. He does everything he can to make sure that he has an exciting fighter at the top of each division. Now, what is he going to so do? So is that why he doesn't? Now, what's he going to do with DC? So is no, that why DC's he doesn't let? Exciting. Is that why he doesn't let D- Diaz fight more? Because is, oh. he knows that Diaz can whip anybody's ass on any given night. And for what he did to Connor, absolutely. Is, is that is that why he won't let Connor uh, Cowboy fight Connor? I believe so. Because Cowboy I mean, beat the living shit out of Darren Teal. And Darren Teal did. is tougher than nails. Do you see what Darren Teal said about uh, about no, Cody Covington uh, the other night? No. Oh, right. dude, it's freaking funny shit. Backstage after that fight, I guess they got into it a little bit. But he, he's like, Cody's a shit talker. But um, okay. they, they're going to fight sometime, I think. Oh, for sure. Uh, maybe what... Darren Till's not his weight division, though. He's 170, no, so Darren Till is. is... No, Darren Till is, remember? He's just huge. Did Darren Till move up after he lost to Woodley? Well, he fought the Cowboy last and got beat. What well, was that? Cow- and that's Cowboy in that, fights at 85, that, yeah, right? So, so Till moved so, up. So he after moved up. He lost so maybe he could come back down to one second. You but they went at it. Till and Woodley fought. He's yeah. like 6'2. Dude, he's a stud. Oh, he yeah. is, dude, he's like Dolph Lundgren in Rocky IV. Oh, if he yeah. dies, he dies. And freaking Cowboy went in there and just was like, I was like, I was no, kind of surprised. No, so I'm like, I wonder if I wonder if if Cowboy beating McGregor ends McGregor for good. Even though McGregor was so awesome and classy when he tweeted that night and said, great fight i will fight you when he called he, he called him out with respect oh, he yeah. said hey i'd love to fight you connor and connor tweeted right then hey 
unbelievable performance cowboy, I would give you a fight. For a fight like that, I'm in. Yeah, for a fight like that, I'm in. Try to fight. Dude, I don't know if he could beat Cowboy, bro. I'm telling well, you. Well, the problem would be, I don't like when Connor fights at 70s, and he'd have to fight him at 70s, because you're right, Cerrone's of 85s now, and so I'd hate to see him. You know, I didn't like it when he fought Diaz at 70 twice. I thought the fact that he lost to Diaz at 70 the first time and then ran it back at 70 was just He heard him. He nuts. heard Diaz in that first fight. That he bloodied nuts. him up. Oh, yeah, he He should have never went to the ground. He ran out of gas for some reason. Diaz is just a bad son of a bitch. If, and I think he should fight more. He is... Is a freaking draw. Oh, period. He is He's a, a draw. Huge draw. huge draw. I love that kid. Did you I see the video the though family. backstage after the Gustafson fight or after the one after that where he he was cornering a guy? It wasn't the Gustafson Jones night. It was the card after that. He was cornering a guy that night. And after Dana White's doing the interview with Fox, it was like the last Fox fight, I think. Oh, okay. Maybe it's the first ESPN fight. And um, and he goes, uh, he goes. Um, he sees Dana and he's getting interviewed and he goes, Hey, what's up, Nate? And he comes over and gives, did you see that video? No. And they shake hands and, and the girl and the interviewer goes, hope to see you in the octagon soon, Nate. And he goes, Oh, we're coming. We're coming. And he walks away and in and, and the interviewer, the female looks at Dana White and goes with the microphone goes, are we going to see Nate Diaz in the octagon soon? He goes, no. And I was like, Dana said that. Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck? Really? Why? It, I mean, but anyway, Dana's, I, I don't know Dana. Dana's got a reputation with fans that's weird that some of them love him some say this some fighters love him some say this I'm just wondering if there is why would somebody like Mendez even be given the opportunity or the feeling like I'm done I understand if it's exactly. like I understand like if he's had uh, 40 concussions right. and he's and he's operations and, and he's messed up but dude Mendez isn't he's a freaking in his prime bro oh and if anything he has absolutely written his own ticket to end his career the way he wants you know, I hope that's not the case. I hope that, you know, that, that would be. I'm texting him outrageous. right now and I'm saying, please nice. reconsider Good. your retirement. Good. Love to see you. <laughs> that's what I just said. He's going to write back and go, yeah, right. But anyway, we'll see if he writes back. He's probably, have you seen him lately? He's, he's training like he's fighting still. I'm like, but he told me, he goes, he goes, it feels so good, Chad, to be able to go in and train and not have to worry about everything. Don't I don't have to follow every rule of my training. I can he goes, I'm training to look good in the summer and to be strong. He goes, he goes, it's just weird. He goes, I don't like getting the shit beat out of me for six months and then not making it worth it. Right. And I, I, I'm not going to get into the particulars of what he made that night because he did get fight of the night. Or yeah, he got fight of the night that night in his in in uh, in L.A. that night, but nowhere near like when you if you heard the mount you would be like what what are you kidding me especially when you hear some of the numbers of these quote-unquote big fighters like there's no way that you can't say that chad mendez is not one of the most all-around badass mma fighters in the ufc uh, um, oh exactly um what is it portfolio right now Oh, absolutely he, he can is. wrestle he oh, can yeah. punch he, he sure. can he can do it all and he, i'm not saying that it, i don't know about his jiu-jitsu game i don't know it's hard to get him in that position because he's such a good wrestler oh yeah you're not yeah. it, it's strange because whenever you know the public figures that are released by like the nevada state athletic commission and all that look horrible but then you know you hear it's interesting promotion because dana white's just always kind of throwing whatever out there and he says some things sometimes you're just like, well, what's the truth, you know? I mean, he says, you know, Connor gets over $25 million for the Khabib fight. It's announced by the you know, Nevada State Athletic Commission that it's less than five. And it's just, I don't understand how that all works, you know? It's just, it's, uh, in, in the fight game, at least in boxing, 
it's all pretty much out there. You know what both guys are going to make before the fight. Everybody's kind of got that nailed down. It's weird that in, in the UFC, it seems like nobody has an exact figure. Like nobody could tell me specifically what Khabib made or what Connor made that night. Dana White's got one answer. Nevada State Athletic Committee. It's just kind of strange, you know. Did he get paid? I mean, wasn't there something where Khabib they were holding his purse? Khabib's purse did get held, but I imagine I don't know. He should be good now. You know, I I got one more topic after this. I just one more short topic. I know you got to roll. That night in. Cleveland, I believe it was, when the bust incident happened, when Khabib's team was on the bus and McGregor did that. I don't know how why that went down. Did he beat one of McGregor's teammates at one time, or did one of his fighters on his team beat? Do you know the story? Well, one of my, 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 the whole gist of my question is this, so you can answer this right. Would Dana have let them fight if McGregor didn't go out and start that and, and start this whole, you know, be, being a draw and putting the public's eyes on this Khabib guy, because I didn't really, I knew Khabib was badass and he wore the Russian, the Russian hat and all that stuff. But when that happened, it really wasn't being talked about that this is going to be the fight, the biggest fight of the year until Connor went and threw that fence, threw that bus and, and caused all that shit and went to court. Exactly. I'm just wondering if Dana lets Khabib fight him just without any of that happening. I don't think it would have happened. I don't think it's a red panty night at the Khabib household unless, uh, you know, you've heard Connor say that, right? It's a red, it's a red panty night when Connor, when, when you decide to fight Connor. But, uh, no, I, I don't think, you know, that just turned into the greatest natural promotion of all time. You know, obviously, Connor's teammate for forever teammate and best friend, Artem Lobum, was there. And um, him and uh, Khabib are, are, I believe, from the same area of the world. They're, you know, and so whatever happened, Artem was on the card that for that same fight that Khabib had. And Khabib was with, you know, 10 of his friends, with his posse, whatever you want to call it corners Artem in the hallways and and says something about their beef and then kind of you know ear slaps him not not full-on slaps him but ear slaps him ear cups him enough and kind of pulls his neck towards him enough to when Artem called Connor and said hey this is what happened Connor literally was in Dublin and flew over that fight was in uh, in New York City and you know they meet him underneath the hotel there in New York and the rest oh, that, that happened in New York. I thought it was in Cleveland no. that that happened. I believe, he was in New York. Yeah, I believe it was in New York. Yeah, and he was and in Dublin, flew over, flew and, over. To, I mean, and just protecting just, his teammate in, just, in just, Irish pride, just to protect his teammate. Like, like Dana said it best. You know, that's what is funny about Dana is sometimes the things he says. You know, you go, "Where's he going with that?" But then other times he just speaks the truth, which I think is always the best. And he said, literally, "Don't make too much out of this." It was. It was an Irish guy protecting his friend. He jumped on a plane from Dublin to New York just to go handle this stuff. And I mean, you see the video footage of him underneath that. Uh, oh, it was scary. It was. It, they, they weren't playing the, around. About some of anything. the things he did was dumb. Oh. You don't put people's lives in danger. No, the innocent people. No, in that not bus. at all. But God I understand for, protecting your friends. But then you go in and get your ass whipped like you did, and then that whole melee took place that night and put a. It, it's like. You know, I don't know. Is that a scar? Is that a bat, black eye for the UFC to see that happen when the uh, brawls happened before? Oh, brawls yeah. Brawls happen all the time. I don't think it's a, a, it wasn't good for the game. No, not at all. But I didn't like how they started to try to discipline Khabib when, when, didn't you guys see what happened in the bus in the parking garage? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, why are you, why are you, too. why are you mad at this guy now for protecting his guy, even okay. though his guy's running his mouth down there or Connor's guy or whoever that was that he jumped on? 
Yeah, he was, was. It wasn't like he was being like innocent down there. He was no. running his mouth. You know, oh, Khabib's like, I'm going in. Absolutely. I mean, that's the unfortunate thing about sports. The good thing is you can find an example, whether it's the NBA, NFL, uh, Major League Baseball, boxing. There's been some ugly instances, unfortunately. And, you know, whether it's charging the mound or, you know, that it just it just happens in competitive situations. It's not a good thing, but... Um, I could talk about this. I know that your point, your points you made today, like I'm taking mental notes. There's a lot of cool things you said that make me know like how serious you are about the fight game. And I don't know, like I, I'm, I'm trying to think like my brother, Clint, like he could sit here and just roll with us about yeah, fighting yeah. way more educated than I am. I'm more of an emotional fight fan. Oh, no, you're Clint's, Clint's more of a technical fight fan to where he can break it down. You, I want to get in We're going to do this again in Good. the next month. I want to talk. Here's the things I want to talk about. I want to talk about UNR boxing and right. what UNR basketball is doing right now and how is Reno a front runner town or do we really have pride in our teams? Because it seems like we're, we're, we're transient, you know, like if they're winning, we're going to be there. If they're not, we're not going to support you worth a shit. And all our event center is going to be empty, empty, empty. But as soon as you crack the top 25, we're going to be about half full. Then you crack the top 10, then you can't find a ticket. And I'm just like, Okay, but let's support these. These are eighteen to twenty-one year old kids that are playing for the University of Nevada Reno. It doesn't. It doesn't happen everywhere across the country. When the, if Duke's losing, which doesn't happen very often, or Kansas, which I know they lost last night, do their stadiums still fill up? I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the insurance game and what you do with the brokering and, and insurance. And what is the insurance game and how, how, what is the ideology behind insurance and where did it come from? Because I'm sitting here going, I got a life insurance policy that I pay this much money in. If I live until I'm 90 and my, and I don't die. And my beneficiaries, I got a lot of questions because I know that if I went out and got hit by a bus today, right. the payoff is there. And I'm like, how does an insurance company, oh, there'd be a lot of people. How did, that was a good one. people. Yeah. <laughs> how, how does the insurance company pay that off? And I'm like, well, probably because they got about a million knuckleheads paying into this fund every month. I want to learn that game. And the other thing I want to learn besides the, I want to go into the fight game more. Done. I want to talk about collegiate boxing great. and how awesome UNR is and how awesome your dad and your uncle Pat were with that. And I want to talk about insurance and I want to talk about fraternities, meaning you're a fraternity guy. I never was. I met you um, through another athlete, but then I met a ton of fraternity guys and frat, frat guys, right. ATOs, right? right. ATOs right. through you and Jim Ray and these guys. Sure. I want to talk about what is a fraternity what, why would you ever go into one? Because I watch Revenge of the Nerds oh, yeah. <laughs> and I could quote every Revenge uh -huh. of the Nerds deal. I love, I just want to know what is a fraternity? Why go into it? Is it leadership? Does it give you a jolt in life in the professional world, jobs, uh, other guys that went, that went through that fraternity that are now out in the society and they're like, Scott Schleen, I was a, I was a brother. I was an ATO back in the seventies. I'd like you to come in. And I want to learn about why is it still in America, this fascination with fraternity row? I went to Fayetteville, Arkansas, SEC school, University of Arkansas, right. the Razorbacks. Yeah. You and our, like, I love you. I love the campus and the campus is insanely beautiful. But dude, the fraternity row and sorority row at this, and I'm I'm not sitting oh, here I trying to act weird. I'm like, oh my god, dude, the support, you, oh, I, dude, it's like a freaking, it's like Friday night every day there. Not saying that they're not going to school or in, and getting their right. grades, but I want to talk about fraternities and I want to learn why, why did they ever come about? Because Bill Burr, the comedian, another oh, yeah. Irishman from Classic. Boston. 
the best. Oh, yeah. He's the best right now. Oh, absolutely. I think Joe Rogan would even say he's the best right now. Oh, easily. He does a thing about joining groups. Go join your, you know, go join your group. You know, we all think it's just cool to go join a group, you know. Right. And but fraternities are like the a brotherhood. Oh, so yeah. I want to learn about that. The fight game. The are collegians. You, what next time are you going to put on a pair of sunglasses? What are those for? <laughs> well, just for I, other I was guests? Gonna, I, I was going to ask. You know if you put those on. I'd no, like, I would okay, never put them on. But unbelievable. Oakley has these badass sunglasses. Those are sweet. Now, look, this is this is a thing that they're coming out with. It's with Daniel Defense, another, uh, uh, another firearms company. They come out with these different designs. This one is in their new military. This is an Oakley standard issue in the military designs where they're using the Navy, the Marines, the Army. Oh, and, that's and, and really the, cool. The different arms of our military to respect them and show them, you know, they're they're putting little ambiances on there with a little bit of uh, a, an accent of, yeah, of different arms of our military. That's cool. So, I, I, I was gonna I was gonna go into military a little bit because I know you have a ton of pride in our military, but that's what I love about podcasting, Shaleen, is that you. I, I talked to this to other guests, and I'll let you go after this. I know you got an insurance appointment. We're getting away in American society. We talked about kids and the upbringing. As adults, we're even getting away from conversing like this. We have a thing we started when we're also going to talk about Sons of Nevada and what a freaking badass thing it's been since we started it when Ron Avancino and my dad and everything happened. Conversing, communication, transparency, staying in touch, friendship, loyalty, community, culture, all that stuff. It's, It's so easy for us to get on there and go, hey, building, how you doing? Want to have lunch? Can't. I'm out of town. Okay, well, that's good enough for us. We're actually making an effort to get together, which it's, we do, right? Oh, it's absolutely. important. It's huge. It's so huge and important. You Deals don't get done on texting. Negotiations and eye-to-eye contact and handshakes is how deals get done. That's how business gets done. That's how friendships get done. That's how freaking strong relationships between men and women get done. Yeah. It's face-to-face. I'm not saying that there's not a time and a place for the digital world. Oh, exactly. But we, with your basketball academy and with what we can talk about on this platform, yeah. we have to start stressing. Like like Jimmy texts me today, says, I have an idea. I didn't, I didn't want to text. He goes, I text you because I know you're always busy. I go, just call me. So right. I called him. I go, what's your idea? He threw out his idea. I went, I already had that idea. He goes, mother. I go, I'm just kidding. I didn't have that idea. But Horrible here's what idea we, next time. It, text me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I started talking to him. I'm like, that's cool that Jimmy, Jimmy thinks about these lines. I also want to get in. He thinks along those lines is what I thought was cool. Because oh, awesome. he's an entrepreneur and you're oh, lucky absolutely. to have him. He's a badass. Oh, he's one of right. the top three funniest dudes I know. Maybe oh, you, you, Crosby and Shalene are probably, I mean, you, Crosby and Jim Ray. Are, and I think both no, of my Jared's, brothers. Oh, absolutely. Crosby's got a sense of humor that's freaking insane. I got to hang out with your brothers more. <laughs> but uh, I also want to get into Jim Ray and the Traegering. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's world famous. Oh, absolutely. I'm telling you, dude, Traeger's like, give us more Jim Ray. Give us more Jim Ray. We love his recipes. Now he's with Oyster Bed. I mean, he freaking brought Oyster Bed to the Western United States, dude. That's those good. dudes, those dudes are are veterans in Louisiana, and they're so thankful for Jim Ray bringing them to us. And now we're able to put them on our platform, and it's freaking taken off. Um, um, Chad Mendez wrote me back, and he goes, "Ha ha ha, bro! You go try to get punched in the head just once." <laughs> <laughs> He's right. Oh man, that's, oh, that's yeah. That's hilarious. it's easy to yeah. He's yeah. I. Anyway, guys, this this is Scott Shaleen. He's born and raised Northern Nevada, and he's got a lot of Nevada pride. I don't even know what what uh, generation Nevadan you are. What is what was your dad? What was Mikey and Pat? He actually came over. He was born in Dutch Flat. He was so born, in, yeah, so, yeah. So you're he was your first generation Nevadan. Yeah. Okay, well, so 
first second yeah so but your family is very prominent in Carson City. Your dad ran a successful business for years. You and your brother Kyle have had an unbelievable successful career in athletics and professional life. Now you got kids coming up. Kyle is one of the, God, he, I forget how funny he is. We used to ball. Remember our freak, we got to get into our three on three teams at YMCA with Timmy and Clay and you and me. We smoked every (laughs) team. And we were cocky too. We're like, what's up, man? Y'all didn't know I had handles like this, boy. But Scott Shaleen, Nevada Insurance Agency, he's a dear friend of mine. And and, uh, it's awesome to have him in here. He is hilarious. He's clever. He's witty. He's a speech writer. He's a motivational speaker. He's a coach. He's a community leader. And that's what you want. You want to, the secret to success in life is to surround yourself with other successful people that have your, not your same visions, but love the passion and the beliefs. And they, they think about the stuff that we talked about today, dedication and loyalty and commitment and discipline and strength and, and, and making sure that you understand how important team is and how important leadership skills are. We could talk about it all day. We don't need to get on a soapbox and say, you need to do shit this way. You don't. I'm just bringing guests onto this podcast because one time we have a veteran, one time we have Dan Hendo, we have Chad Ward talking about cooking. Scott might not have an Instagram account with 4 million followers and hashtags everywhere, but he is just as important to the culture and the fabric of our society and our communities as Dan Henderson is, as Uriah Faber or Zach Brown or any of these celebrities. Those guys don't give a shit to be called a celebrity. They put their pants on just like we do. They were just gifted with different gifts than we were gifted with. Zach's is a voice and a guitar playing tenacity that's unbelievable. Dan Hendo could wrestle in tough and take a punch and throw a punch in the H-bomb. We Everybody has different gifts. They have different things to bring to society. Take the time to get to know these. We all understand that this life ain't for everybody doesn't mean that you can't do what I do or what Scott Shaleen does. It means that take the time to understand that just because our lives are different doesn't mean that we can't sit down at a bar at the Coney Island or Louis Bass Corner and have a pecan or a cold Bud Light and, and get down in the weeds and talk a little bit of shit to each other, rib each other, joke around, reminisce. We always reminisce about my old man, Orville Belding. He died in 2000. Six August 9th, 2006, he was one of Scott's good friends. He always looked over all of us. But this life ain't for everybody is brought to you by our friends at the North American Whitetail Championship. Check them out, nawtc.com. Get signed up, 300 bucks for a chance to win 50 grand. And uh, I'm telling you guys, it's a no-brainer. And it's also brought to you by our friends at El Dorado Resorts, the Carano family, Gary, Greg, Gino, Glenn, Anthony, all of you guys, I love you like brothers. You guys have been nothing but unbelievable for our family and to our community in our entire state here in Nevada. So again, guys, today's episode was brought to you by the North American Whitetail Championships and the, and the Carano family at El Dorado Resorts, which is all over the country now. So check them out. Tom Rashashin, Scott, do you have any final words today? Hey, been fun hanging out, buddy. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll see you guys soon. Let's schedule it again. Let's schedule it again real soon. Tom, please do your job. And I know that you've got tons of jobs and you're so talented, but please play Leith Lofton, a.k.a. Haas. What you going to do when the money's all gone? Thank you all very much. Perfect. Say life owners won't last that long. What you going to do when the money's all gone?